Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here's a discount gold and silver trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com. Or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is the American Independence Hour for Tuesday, uh, 19th day of June, uh, May, excuse me, year of our Lord, 2015. I'm Alfred Adisk, as I said, uh, man made in God's image, endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights, and broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas. My co-host is Frank Steffen. Frank is the producer of the program. And uh, if anything goes wrong, you know who to blame. I prefer the title Whippin' Boy. Uh huh. That works too. <laughs> that works too, except that might be. Pers- somebody's going to say that's hate speech or something like that. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. We're just going to call you the producer. Everybody understands it's the same thing. Okay, good. I got a, uh, oh, got an article here. <laughs> I, I said this is the top of the. Um, list of topics that we might get into tonight. And the, and, the, and the headline on it is the list of Americans to be killed by our military. Right. Now this went out as an email <laughs> and it includes a list of 72 mostly different classifications of people that have been identified one place or another <laughs> as being members of the group that the military should kill. So we're going to go through a few of these. We're going to see yay or nay. Number one is those who talk about individual liberties. <laughs> What's that mean? I could hear you. Well, they have to be killed. I mean, come on. Yeah, I understand. Individual liberties. What kind of crazy talk is that? Man, well, That's radic- dangerous. How radical. Let's see some... Yeah, some Thank goodness wisdom. all those guys that wrote the Declaration of Independence are already dead. Yeah, I know, because if they <laughs> weren't, our government would be there be first in line to see that... I mean, King George might have let them go. Right. But our government wouldn't let them go. No, no. Uh, uh, they catch Thomas Jefferson. They'll show him what for. <laughs> uh, 
Individual rights, that's the first one. Those who advocate for states' rights. Oh, and there's the second one. Should I be putting like a check check mark? How many of these do I get after on my name? I think what? what you should probably do is how many don't apply. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a shorter list. You know okay, well, yeah, all right. <laughs> Number three, those who want to make the world a better place. Oh, I'm out of that one. At least. I agree. I agree. Those people ought to be lined up against the wall. Man. These do-gooders, I mean, they just don't understand what's going on in this place. All right, but the first first one, individual rights, states' rights, yep, I'm in favor of both of those. Here's the fourth one. The colonists, the colonists who sought to free themselves from British rule. Somebody didn't get the memo. <laughs> I mean, those people are gone. You understand? There's not much point to killing them now because they've been dead for a couple hundred years. Uh, those that are interested in defeating the communists, oh, communists collapsed pretty much on their own. Except for so Hillary got, Clinton and Barack Obama. Except for the ones here in the United States. They're I going mean, strong. The Russian communists, they're gone. Chinese, oh. that's just a facade. Our government, they're the ones that believe in collectivism. They're the ones that believe in communism, although they hate to say it. Um, I would be among those who are interested in defeating communism. Uh, those who believe that the, that the interests of one's own nation are separate from the interests of other nations or the common interest of all nations. Right, you gotta you gotta be in favor all one for all and all for one. I think there's a word called nationalist. They could have shortened that sentence up a little That's bit. Be right. Yeah. yeah. Don't Gosh. want any nationalists around. What is the rationale for actually being in favor of one nation as opposed to another one? Well, every rationale in the world. I mean, uh, self preservation, the preservation of your culture, the preservation of your family. You know, these are all small units. The collective doesn't, and, and people can see this, I mean, the collective doesn't really appreciate those no. small units. No, I understand. They're just cogs in a wheel. That's right, all and if you, wanna, if you want to preserve them, then, you you know, that's why you would want to be at least a nationalist. But then again, you know, you go back to the people before this that believe in states' rights. You know, they're one step above a nationalist, even. So, Oh, I agree. But when they talk about those who feel that the interests of one's own nation are separate from those, the interests of another nation, and the common interests of all nations, the truth is this. Some nation, everybody is inclined to support their own nation. I mean, nationalism is a fairly natural mm -hmm. phenomenon. It's like standing and up for your Pakistan family. are in favor of Pakistan, and people in, you know, uh, Hindustan are in favor of Hindustan and whatever. Um, yeah, you stand up for your own country, but should all countries stand up equally? We have a natural inclination to identify with our country and stand up for it. But the truth is some countries can make you prosperous and perhaps even rich, and others are going to keep you in bondage and may even shorten your life by 20 or 30 years. You've got to take this into consideration and recognize that we can't just sit back and say, oh, these people over here, they just want to kill. They're only going to kill a few million of their own people every year. It's not going to be all, they're not going to kill everybody, just a few million a year. Uh, that's not a country that I want to be part of. No, no. I don't I, want to no. respect it. But then again, mm -hmm. if I'm not a part of a country like that, and they're sitting over somewhere else, killing their own people to how many ever a year. 
I don't feel it's my duty to march on over there and say, okay, listen up here, uh, you got to start doing things my way because I don't appreciate what you're doing over here, even though it has nothing to do with me. You know, and, and I don't think that's the right thing either. I mean, sure, you know, maybe you could call them up and say, hey, you know, I ever think about not killing all your people or what, you know, something. But to march in and, and enforce, you know, I figure if a country is leaving me alone where I live, they're good to go with whatever they want to do. It's up to the people that live where well, what's going that. on, but and they got to do it. Would be required to show the same degree of respect for a, for a country and a culture that might kill you? No. Oh, as you show for a country and a culture where you can expect to live to a ripe old age and die in bed with all your kids and relatives surrounding you? No, absolutely not. I, as a matter of fact, you know, I mean, if you live in a country that's doing this to you, you know, you should get your neighbors together and say, look, you've got to stop. But it's not my duty to go and do it, you know, and the and, and same goes for here, though. And we got our own troubles, and everybody yeah, has their own troubles, see? That's the whole thing. Everybody thinks it's got this big picture view that, oh, the world has got the all these same troubles. No, they're not the same and troubles. That's what the government would have us believe that we're all under the same, got the same problems. No, and, not exactly. And, and you know what you just said is probably the best example of why globalism can never work. Yeah. Because it's not just one big picture where, oh, Okay, everybody's got the same problem. Let's all get together and solve these problems we all have because we don't all have the same problems. That's exactly right. And from some people's perception, many of the problems that they have in their country are due to people in other countries. Sure. Right? And those perceptions aren't necessarily irrational. Well, you know, I, I, and I know where, you know, I, I think I know where, you know, a good example is illegal immigration or even legal immigration. I mean, we have now California power uh, companies firing American IT workers, yeah. not because they don't need them anymore, but because they're going to replace them with H-1B IT workers who will work cheaper from other countries. Yeah. This is not illegal. This is the government deliberately putting Americans out of work. And yep. you know, so this this obviously is going to cause some sort of uh, resentment except people are not I in my view, well that's why they have the list of Americans to be killed by our military. <laughs> yeah. And we will get to those who are resentful of government. I haven't read the whole list. Well, yet, you see, so I'm I, I, that's the problem. One of these seventy-two lists is going to be those who resent the government. Yeah, but you see, uh, that's the whole problem. Is that I think too many people in this country are resenting the foreigners who are simply taking advantage of uh, of something that's been presented to them to better their lives. I agree. So we we should be resenting the government because they're the ones doing it. Right. They're the ones that are doing it. My complaint isn't really with the illegal aliens. I don't want them here, but they're not the problem. The problem is the government that allows and encourages them to enter. Yeah. There's the problem. I would, I would, I would gladly keep the illegal aliens if we could get rid of the government. Every million illegal aliens that come into this country, how about we ship a million government officers, congressmen, senators, and so on, we'll start at the top with the president, work our way down, and when there's no more government, no more government workers in this country, 
then we're going to have to close the door to illegal immigrants. Say, so, nope, sorry, we have all the crooks we can handle. Yeah, we don't have but any more government. You bring us your crooks, we're going to You know, you and, and the same thing goes for not just illegal immigration or lead too much legal immigration. It also goes for, okay, so you, you're in a black community. You're poor, you're undereducated, you don't have any, uh, you, you know, you don't have much uh, as far as a future because there's no jobs, there's no upward mobility, there's none of that in your community. Well, so you look at the white guys and you go, well, look at what they got. I resent yep. them because they got what they got. Well, it's not their fault they got what they got and you got nothing. It's the government because they've set up this system to where you don't have a chance because you're not educated. You don't have any jobs. They've shipped them all away. You know, and on and on it goes. We need to identify our enemy better. I agree with you 100%. First order of business is know your enemy. All right? And it's something the Founding Fathers understood, and it's exactly why they gave us checks and balances in the Constitution. It was, protect, it was intended to protect us against tyranny by our own government. They gave us the right to keep and bear arms. It's intended to protect us against our own federal government. State constitutions protect us against our state governments. And the government, of course, doesn't like either one of them because they don't want you protected. They want you vulnerable, dependent. And they want you to believe that the government is here to help you, and that is just a bunch of crap. And now they've taken the further step to create situations where they've created false enemies. To where, oh, false I'm angry. Flag. I'm angry because I don't have everything I think I should have. Oh, I agree. Entitlements. That's the whole idea of entitlements. Mm -hmm. You are entitled to this, that, or the other. Why am I entitled to that? Well... Because of the color of your skin, the, uh, your height, your gender, your poverty, whatever it is, you are entitled. And what I'm telling people, look, I don't believe any one of us is entitled to a dime that we haven't personally earned. Well, you know, you know, And once you start this entitlement mentality, if you don't get everything you think you're entitled to, you're going to be pissed. Sure. And, you know, the, I would, uh, this whole... States like Arizona, okay, Arizona, well, look, uh, we got a deficit here. We're going to have to start cutting welfare. Yep. Well, okay, I get that. And if food stamps and helping the poor that were created by the government supposedly, well, we got to tighten our bootstraps, you know, if that was the last thing to cut, I'd say fine, then it needs to be cut. But while Walmart and other corporations are getting billions of dollars in corporate welfare every year. I'm sorry, I, I can't be on uh, on board with cutting out somebody's sixty dollars of food stamps every month. I agree with you. I agree. I mean, if you're going to start trimming anywhere, start trimming the subsidies at the top. Yeah. All right. Major corporations, farmers, agriculture. You don't deserve a subsidy. I don't care how you figure it. It's not right. While people are hungry, I agree with you. You know, feed the kids. You know, it's the whole do, false enemy this again. This is a difficult situation. you got to be careful to feed the children at the same time you don't institutionalize the parents to where they figure out, you know, this is a pretty cool business. I don't have to show up for work. Right. And raise a family and have a life and uh, maybe even take a vacation on, you know, Carnival Cruise well, I, lines I, every know, once in a while. And I don't they have a job. They've created a situation where the job market now is where if you do go out and get a job, 
your standard of living is less than some people on welfare. And yeah, you no, see, no. now that can't... And I'm not saying, well, cut the welfare people down. Because, you know, really, just because you're living better than a minimum wage job doesn't mean you're living it up. I it, agree. It means there's something wrong with a guy who goes to work eight hours a day and can't afford to feed his family. I agree. It used to be that way in the in the 50s. I mean, gosh, guys were working at grocery stores and gas stations and having a wife and kids that didn't work. Yep. You know, now... My first job was 85 cents an hour at Blau Motors back in Crystal Lake, Illinois. It was back when I was about 8th, ninth grade, something like that. 85 cents an hour sounds like a triviality, but back then, 85 cents was 85% of a silver dollar. Yeah. We still had silver back. That means back then, while we had real money, gold, uh, not the gold was gone from domestic, but the silver was still there. In fact, it would be there for probably another four or five years after I was being paid 85. As a kid, I was making 85% of a silver dollar, which is roughly 16 bucks an hour <laughs> in today's money. All right? And now they're coming, oh, we're going to have minimum wage. We're going to take care of these people. Huh. Well, we were way better off when we had real money and we were prosperous. The government has taken that away, and it's not an accident. I don't doubt, I don't doubt that it's designed to impoverish the people and empower the government. Well, sure. And and it's certainly unconstitutional. It violates Article 110.1. You know, you got to look at what's happened and say, okay, well, wait a minute. You know, all right, let's investigate this as a crime. Who's benefited? And, and look at uh, the... the the Walton family, Bill Gates, you know, Warren Buffett. You know, the list goes on and on of the elitist that everybody, oh, look at them raking the money. Well, how did that happen? How are they allowed to be that rich while everybody else has nothing? See, this is not, they didn't work hard for that money. That whole thing, well, whoa, yes, the American way, you can't begrudge people to get rich. I don't begrudge people to get rich. I don't care if they're rich. I care if what they're doing causes everyone else to suffer. I care if they're making their money because Congress, because, number one, they had enough money in the first place to bribe Congress to pass legislation that allowed them to exploit the balance of the American people. And that's what's happening. And yep. most, much of the big money in this country is based on government regulations that says, you guys get to take money from all those poor saps out there that are trying to feed the wife and kids. Yep. Uh, if you're getting your money, if you get, if you can, if you can afford a lobbyist, <laughs> I think your taxes should be, your tax rate should go up ten percent for every lobbyist you can afford to send to Congress. I think lobbyists should be redefined as bribery, and if we That's catch you doing this. it again, you're That's going to this. prison. Yeah, you know. Why prison? Why? Why just mess around with prison? They're already overcrowded. Um, I'm I'm in favor of treason. These well, lobbyists and the Congress are working in concert to well, give aid and comfort to the enemies of the people of the United States of America. See, They're I, really engaged in treason. Well, they, they are, are but to destroy this nation. I'm looking for rest them. you got 30 days to get ready. Got your trial. You're going to be tried for treason. If the jury finds you guilty, you will be taken out and hanged by the neck until dead. And it won't be more than 60 minutes after the trial is concluded. And jury comes in, get down on your knees, make your peace with God. You're going out on the platform. 
Well, that would be a deterrent for them to do it again. But, of course, I'm taking into account the prison industrial system, and they need laborers. And I think Warren Buffett and the boys would make good prison laborers. Because well, I think they, they get in it. there and they'll take over the damn racket. There's the problem. <laughs> they already own the racket. See that? Who do you uh, think's making money off of that? It's these I, guys. Yeah. You know? Good golly! And you know, and that was one thing that I always, even before this really became an issue in America, thought, man, I don't know. This doesn't sound good in the Constitution that says you know slavery is not good unless <laughs> for punishment for a crime. And I thought, hmm. I thought, you know, pretty much slavery was never well, it, good. Well, it, it, it was involuntary servitude. Mm-hmm. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude right. shall exist except as punishment for a crime. I don't think they put anybody into slavery as punishment for a crime. Till now. They did involuntary servitude. They did put them into involuntary servitude as punishment for a crime. Let me get into this list again. Your anti-homosexual, anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim, patriot movement. Ah. They're one of theirs. Opposition to equal rights for homosexuals and lesbians. That's a repeat yeah. of anti-homosexual. Members of the Family Research <laughs> Council. I'm going to have to say no. I've been able to say that I'm guilty of probably most of the items yeah. on this up until now. I don't know what the Family Research Council is, yeah, me either. but if the government wants to kill them, I'll bet it's a pretty good operation. Yeah. <laughs> members, one other point is also this. They say the next, uh, the, they've got members of the Family Research Council, and then right after that, and it might just be a duplication or something, members of the American Family Association, that can't be me. All right, These may be fine organizations that I am you know, I have. I don't know who they are, so it can't be me either. Well, it doesn't matter who they are because it says members. You see, uh huh. I haven't joined a group in in fifty years, probably. Well, it's hard to join a group you don't even know exists. So I, uh, you know, I don't know who they are. So if you got to be a member of something, you can probably count me out. I'm yeah. not a member of most things, but I am. You know, the rest of this. And what we've got here is a list that goes. And here's one. One of them says anyone who. Anyone that possesses an intolerance toward other religions. Well, gee. I'd say everyone who has a religion has an intolerance for other religions. Yes. Because the fundamental idea behind every religion is that that these people have found the one true way to salvation or God or peace or whatever. And that being the case, I don't care what religion you're a member of, you're looking at the rest of them and saying, these people are all crazy and or satanic. You know, and it's not unreasonable to be intolerant of other religions. No. It may not be for this reason. It's not unreasonable for this reason. For example, if I have a choice between being a Christian, where I think I might be able to get some eternal salvation, and being a Hindu... It's got something to do with worshiping cows and going through a, you know, some sort of a cycle and the rest of that. I'm going to probably opt for that Christian faith. There are some religions that are so different, and not to say that they're bad, they're crazy, anything else like that exactly. I mean, religion is what it is, but just the same. If I believe that only one religion offers a ticket to salvation, 
I can't sit back there and just say, well, these other religions are just as good as the one I... Well, and that's the thing. If if that's the case, if there is no intolerance towards other religions, what's the point of the religion in the first place? Yeah, I mean, it's... You know... If you can't find intolerance in your religion, you really don't have a very good religion. No, it's, it's, I mean the Baptists they're looking down their nose at the Catholics who look down their nose at the Lutherans and the Hindus and the Muslims. I mean, what kind of stupidity is this on see, this list? I, I found on this list here an out for my uh, a technicality. I, I'm out on a technicality on this one. Those that believe that Mexico, Canada, and the United States are secretly planning to merge into a European Union like entity that will be known as the North American Union. I don't think they're secretly doing it. So no, there's I'm, that. I I'm, agree. I'm out on that. You got, on a wiggle room. you got a little wiggle room on the way this has been presented. <laughs> um, those are, those, anyone who is opposed to the New World Order, well, of course, Correct. you can't oppose the New World Order. Uh, um, anyone engaged in conspiracy theorizing. Uh-oh, Hillary's got to go. Hillary's got to go. I remember her saying right. the vast right-wing conspiracy. That's right. Vast right-wing conspiracy. That's right. They think we're all nuts. I knew she wouldn't be. Theory. I knew she couldn't be president. See, she's going to have to be killed. Yeah, you know. Probably so. Militia movement. They've got them here once and down below. They got militia or unorganized militia. They've yeah. got them at least twice. Kill them twice. They're dangerous. They're really dangerous. Sovereign citizens movement. Uh -oh. Those that don't think they should have to pay taxes. Huh. <laughs> that would just about everybody over 18 or 20 years old huh. who has a job. They are, they're, they're subject to that theory. Complain, anyone that complains about bias. <laughs> I don't even know what that exactly means. Uh, somehow I'm not getting what I should have. Well, I and guess. there's nobody in America doing that. So <laughs> they, Here's another one. Anyone who believes in government conspiracies, the point of paranoia. Okay. Do you believe in these conspiracies to the point of paranoia? Absolutely. <laughs> or do you stop just short before you completely go paranoid? No, I'm completely paranoid. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, you're on the list. Well, in any case. You know, the, the, uh, they got the, bumper stickers that are patriotic bumper, well, or anti-United Nations. Oh, boy. Uh, those that refer to the Army of God, fiercely nationalistic, anti-global, suspicious <laughs> of the centralized federal authority, reverent. You know, the whole Constitution is suspicious. It is the genius of the American Constitution that it is essentially an anti-government document. No. They know you got to have some kind of limited government, but they tried to limit it as much as possible. They said, don't trust the SOBs in Washington, folks. If you do, you'll be sorry. And, and if they start try to take your liberties and your freedoms away, then here we have the mechanisms where you can protect yourself. We've lost that. We've forgotten that it. it's here if we want to grab hold of it. But... Uh, they didn't trust government in the beginning, otherwise they wouldn't have had three branches of government. They wouldn't have the checks and balance, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, right to keep and bear arms. Well, you know, I no involuntary servitude. They didn't. They had that at first. I, I actually am in a little a little encouraged by this list by one fact that you know I can only be killed once. 
Yeah, I understand. And I'm like, uh, I'm up to like nine. I'm up to like sixty-seven of these are me. So yeah, I understand. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, okay. At least you can only kill me <laughs> once. This was this list was provided by people who think this is a serious collection. And each one of these items, if you click on it, do you do a control click on it? It'll open up your website. It'll open up your browser, and it'll take you to the source of this information. Right. Now, whoever put this together was serious in believing that the government is going after all of these people. Well, they have said. Is that really reasonable when we've got a list of 72 people or 72 kinds of classifications of people? I mean, how many people could there be <laughs> in the country that don't fall into one of well, categories? You know, now, wait, though. If we take this and go, well, this seems ridiculous, 72 different groups, it's almost everybody. You're going to kill almost everybody. Is that really well? Let's go check the UN documents that say, "Hey, three quarters of the whole world have to be killed." They're serious. They really, I you know, if they can, they will kill three quarters of this planet. Yeah, you know, and for whatever reasons, you know, the whatever Satanists, uh, they're just possessed by evil. They want to save the Earth. Uh, that's their religion. Uh, whatever it is. The documents are in the U.N., and they're serious documents. I mean, they go through the whole thing about why we got to do this and, you know, why it's good for everybody. Well, everybody that's left, <laughs> you know, and all this. And then all these links, like you said, are different places where different documents, different public officials, different, you know, they've made statements, they've written documents, they've put out things that have gone public that basically... Uh, evidence what they're saying on this list. Even so, I mean, if they'd given me a list that had a list of five, well, yeah, that I might find that credible. A list of seventy-two, <laughs> and somebody's gone too far. That's not to say that all seventy-two of these items are unreasonable or irrational mistakes or whatever. Um, but it's a good indication to me that this is, you know, you can get a little bit. You can become, when they talk about being, believing government is harmful to the point of paranoia, mm -hmm. yeah. I think that would include the people that drafted this list and believe in this list. Well, sure. If you really believe that all 72 of these groups are on a list that the government intends to shoot, you know, come on, come on, come on. But then it. again, you know, they'd like to shoot. There's a lot of duplication. Yeah, there's a, yeah. Well, that's not unless we're not actually going to shoot these people. We'd like to shoot them, but we don't have the resources. No, to and do. we're just planning I, on shooting them. We're not actually doing it, but we're going to yeah, plan just on it. One, it's kind of one of those think tank things. How? Who would we like to get rid of? Yeah. Well, that's okay because see, I have a list too. <laughs> you, know? Like, uh, yeah. you know, but there's a lot of duplication on this list, and yeah, there's a lot of things mentioned, you know, in different ways that you know, and basically it does come down to about ten different things, and there's a common thread throughout all this. Anybody who believes in individuality, anybody who believes in freedom, anybody who believes in basically the tenets of the Declaration of Independence, uh, you're an enemy of the state. Yep. And, and you're an enemy of this state. Well, yeah, and that's yeah. basically what is, what this is, you know. And they're going overboard to demonstrate that, for sure. They could just say anybody with an IQ over 105. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's that. Also, that would that would probably encompass most of the people on this list. Anybody who reads, yeah, is more interested in reading than watching Dancing with the Stars. 
That's another one. If you, you know, don't I, know what honestly, the dancers are, I don't, Dancing with the Stars. That might be that might be your way of avoiding. They come up. Do you have an identification? No. <laughs> Do you know who won Dancing with the Stars in the no. last night? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I know who was. All right, you're good. Don't worry. Just, <laughs> leave, leave me alone. You, know. you see, now this is the thing, though, and it's like a lot of you know. I think they do want to kill all those people, and and it, but we get an idea when we talk, talk to people and they talk to us about, well, the government's going to come and get you. They're going to uh-huh. kill you. They're going to put you in a FEMA mm-hmm. camp. They're going to do these things, right? Well, maybe not. Maybe they're going to poison our water. Maybe they're going to poison our food. Maybe they're going to cause droughts and, and uh, you know, food shortages. All they have shortages. to do is shut down the, shut down the food supply system, right. and we will be out there killing each other, trying to find something to eat or defend whatever we have left to eat. Sure, and then add... I mean, they don't have to come kill us. No, and then All they add... got to do is just shut down the food supply, and hey, we'll kill each other. Well, and then shut down the electrical grid. Another one. Every city in the in the United States would you think you know they got problems now? You yeah. cut the electricity off of any any hundred thousand or more city. What happens? Well, no more sewage, no more water. You know, forget what about the air traffic. Yeah, what well, no traffic? more traffic lights. No, no more traffic. No lights more gas pumps. Whether you stop or go at the next intersection. Well, you're not going to be going anywhere. We're going to have gridlock. Unlike anything they've ever seen before in this country, the whole thing's going to lock down. Sure, until everybody's tank runs dry, and then you go to the gas station, and they don't have any electricity to pump any gas. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe you can you, dip a little bucket down the... Sure, yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong there? And then you have some yeah, moron with their cell phone come by and make a call, try to make a call while you're dipping into the gasoline tank. Bang! They're going... <laughs> let's, take a, let's take some commercials. Frank, All right. we'll take a break for a couple of minutes, and we'll be right back. We'll talk about our car when we get back. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? 
Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. For Dadusk here on the American Independence Hour with co-host Frank Steffen. And we're going to start on bar cards in just a moment, talking about bar cards for our friends and uh, associates who are licensed to steal by the various state bar associations. We'll get to that in just a moment. Just one last point. Frank was talking about, we're talking about the list of people who are going to get whacked by the government. And the list is so lengthy, I doubt that anyone can read the list and not see, you know, I, I'd be astonished. Who could read that list and not see at least a couple of items that you thought, oh, yeah, that must be me? You know, I mean, I see just about every item there. It'd be me. Um, Frank is the same way. Certainly the vast majority of them. But what I'm reminded of, you know, you get into this paranoid moment or mood, if, if you will, if you want to succumb to it. And I don't mean that you shouldn't be vigilant. I don't mean that. But, I mean, you have to draw a line. You have to be reasonable to some degree. You have to try to be reasonable. I remember when I first started publishing the Anti-Shyster back in 1990, which was a news magazine that I published for 12 years. And when I first started publishing that magazine, I got the first issue out, maybe two and people started writing to me and calling me from around the country. Said, they're not just Sunday. You better watch your step. They're not going to let you do this. They're going to catch you. They're going to shoot you full of joy juice, take you down to a mental health facility. You're going to get you're going to get driven out of your mind or shot or something. And here we are, 25 years later, and it didn't happen. Now, it doesn't mean that these kinds of things could never happen, but it does put us in a position. It makes you wear. You've got to discern. You've got to look at some of this stuff and you've got to say, is this a real threat or is this more likely just a certain amount of, you know, excessive paranoia breaking loose? I think they're and more I, making a point. You know, I think they're more making a point. And, and yeah, they're going way overboard. The, the, they're trying to oh, show, oh, yeah. you know, that, look. The government doesn't okay. like you if you're for freedom. They don't like yeah. you if you're for individual rights. They don't, they, you know, they're the enemy. They don't like you. And, yeah. and See, I, there's the thing. The government understands that there's a war going on between the government and the American people. Yeah. The American people, by and large, do not understand that they are caught in a war with their own government. They find that extraordinarily hard to believe. They find that evidence, you know, if you're going to advocate that sort of idea, you shouldn't be surprised, and I'm not. 
You know, people say, oh, the guy's just a paranoid nut. Yep. You know, I can understand why they would say that. Now, how serious this war is, uh, it's not a situation where we're going to start beheading people just yet, at least. Uh, at least that's my hope and belief. But there is a great antagonism, and it's not new. Who is the principal enemy of the people of the Soviet Union when well, it still existed? Their own government. That's exactly right. Who's the principal enemy of the people of England? Same the government thing. of England. Who's the principal enemy? And these are the United people of the United States of America. Government of the United States. You know, they tell us, oh, our, our soldiers are fighting for our freedoms. You know, we send these guys overseas to Iraq or Pakistan or Afghanistan or someplace, and they're fighting for our freedoms. Really? <laughs> Name two. Name two. Name two freedoms that any living American soldier has fought for. Did they fight for the right to the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, uh, the right to keep and bear arms? Which one of our freedoms were threatened by Iraq or Vietnam or uh, Afghanistan and whoever else we're going to well, fight? Well, and people can they ask don't threaten our freedom. The only people who threaten their freedoms are in Washington, D.C. Well, and their state capitals. People should ask themselves as they watch all this rhetoric and propaganda on TV about the Afghanistan and the Iraqis and the Muslims and everybody else, the Chinese, everybody's out to get us as far as the uh, news media is concerned. Except but, the government. They yeah, will protect yourself from all these evil You beings. know, ask yourself, who are you more afraid of? Are you? Yeah. Do you get more nervous when you look in your rear view mirror and see a Muslim in the, in the car behind you, or do you get more nervous when you see a cop? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, because I don't care how many times you've been pulled over and how many times you've even won in court, because I've won plenty of times in court, but when I see the cop follow me down the road, yep. I cool. still get nervous. Absolutely. You know, because they are dangerous. There's no, there's no denying, there's no getting around it, but they don't have the resources to really take this country by force. No, no, they can't right? even occupy it. The police are about three-tenths of a percent of the population, which means there are about 300 private individuals for every police officer in the country. There's no way they can deal with those odds by force. I don't care what you give them. Give them tanks. Give them whatever it is you want to give them. They can't handle 300 to 1 odds. By the time you, you get rid of the senior citizens, and I don't mean kill them, I mean keep them out of the equation, and the children, it's still 200 to 1 odds. Well, you can't win that kind of battle with overt force. You could win it with deceit, deception, intimidation. Tell people, oh my God, we're going to kill everybody on a list of 72. <laughs> and it scares people. Mm -hmm. So you've got to look at it. You've got to be able to say, no, I don't think that makes sense. And you have to resist the impulse to be afraid. Well, and, and it's the thing is, like, I can make a list of all the things I want. It doesn't mean I'm getting any of them. It's just a list. Yeah, maybe they do yeah, want to kill all those people. So what? Are they going to be able to? No. They can't. They're not going to be able to. And that's the whole thing about you know, not being overwhelmed by you know, fear and paranoia and fantasy and recognizing the reality of the fact this government can't even occupy a place like Afghanistan or Iraq. Right. That's right. 
Okay, <laughs> do you think they're going to be able to do it in the United States, all yeah. the states of the Union? I don't think so. No, they don't have the resources to do it. And even if they bring all the military back here that are stationed overseas, it only increases the cops from three-tenths of a percent of the population to about six-tenths of a percent. They're still outnumbered 100 to 1. Yeah, it's, it's, right. They can't do that. In an armed republic, and many of the soldiers are going to actually uh, probably side with the people, and they're not going to cooperate. Well, so this thing is happening because people are ignorant or people are intimidated. Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? because they've been... And I, and I believe that was... Uh, honestly, I believe this, and people can argue or not, but I believe one of the real downfalls that made everybody so afraid of all this and intimidated because if you're intimidated you're afraid and what and you're then? letting you're your fear silent. yeah you you're... are silent you don't stand up to say this is right and this is wrong you try to hunker down and just stay out of sight that's and right. that's perhaps the biggest disability if you are afraid to speak out right, you are allowing the government to take over yeah, because and you're one of the, if you're listening, you're one of the people. You see this stuff happening. Mm-hmm. You got not. It's not enough just to see it. You got to be able to stand up and speak out and explain it to your friends and neighbors and say this is wrong. You got to explain it in a way that's not paranoid, not crazy, in a way that people listen and say, you know, I think he's right. I think maybe he's got an idea. Well, there. and I think this is one of the big reasons they have taken the Bible out of every public institution that they possibly can, and they're working on taking it out of the churches for crying out loud. And you know, and that because the Bible and the Christian faith was a great foundation of, hey, you know what? I got to stand up for what's right, even if I die. So what? You know, I'm going to heaven. I'm 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 saved. I don't care. I got to so stand up for that. what's right, and that's been taken away. And now people are just well, whichever way the wind blows, I better go with the crowd. You know. You take a look in Revelation. This comes up from time to time. I think it's either Revelation 18 or 19. I don't recall clearly, and I'm not going to dig it up. Got my Bible here, but I'm not going to go hunting for it right this moment. But there's a laundry list, and I talk about it from time to time, and I use the term laundry list. There's a list of, I don't know, a dozen thereabouts classes of people are doomed to damnation. And it includes the murderers and the whoremongers and the liars and the, I don't know what else is all all that's in there. right? But first on the list is those who fear. In some versions of the Bible, it says those who fear. In other versions, it says the cowardly. That's the first on the list. Why? Because your fear is inversely proportional to your faith. Insofar as you succumb to fear, it's evidence that your faith is weak. If you really believe in the God of the Bible, what are you worried about? So what if they kill you? Yep. All right? No, ain't no thing. <laughs> you know, this is if there's an eternal afterlife. This is just a triviality. This life here is just a triviality. It's like getting a mosquito bite back when you're four years old or something. You know, plus, what are people thinking? Nobody gets out of here alive anyway. I mean, it's not not like a choice like, well, you know, I've decided that I'm just not going to die because it's, uh, you know. Well, yeah, well, you're going to die. And so it's just a matter of are you going to die, you know, cowered in a corner or or hiding under your bed? Are you going to die standing up and saying, hey. This isn't right, and if you're gonna get gotta kill me for it, then you gotta kill me for it. But I'm not gonna submit. Yeah, 
I understand that. You know, we saw, we had one woman who attended our meetings years ago, Citizens for Legal Reform, and she got into she got into a battle in court, and she did well as a pro se. And she was in court for something like a three-day trial, of my recollection. This goes back 91, 92. I can't remember. I don't remember her name, and I don't remember the issue. But she got into court, and she did so well that one of the judges in the courthouse came down and started sitting in the pews just to watch her fend off the licensed attorneys and the existing and the judge in that court. And he took it upon himself to sit down and talk to her later on and explain to her some realities. He congratulated for doing her doing for doing a good job. But he also told her, he said, you can't show fear. If you show fear, they will jump on you like a cat on a, on a you know, on a canary. Mm-hmm. You can't show fear. And from my perspective, from a spiritual warfare perspective, I think that's exactly right. I think when you show fear, that's evidence that you don't have much faith. Yep. And when that happens, I think that's the that's the signal to the people that are, I don't know, I'm not going to say that the demons are possessing anybody, but I think that's a, that brings out something satanic that we are perhaps all subject to. We see somebody that's fearful, and all of a sudden we're ready to bully them. We're ready to hurt them, all right? And that tends to be true. It tends to be an impulse in a lot of people, and maybe the most people, maybe all of us. I don't know. But if you got that real faith, eh, you just show up, hey, ain't no thing, you know? And as soon as they understand you're not afraid, they recognize they have a problem. In fact, I've told the story on the program before, but when I got tangled up in that... Uh, that lawsuit in Austin, Texas, where it was sued for $25,000 a day by the Attorney General of the state of Texas. That's $9 million a year. We got to a point where we're talking to the judge, John K. John K. Dietz, who was really a wonderful man, brilliant guy. I'm not telling you he's morally wonderful, but I like that guy. And I wish we could have been friends and whatever. Brilliant, brilliant man. But he was talking to us, trying to negotiate a settlement. between us and the attorney general's office. And he said, nobody likes to get into settlements. He said, because you got to, you get some of what you want, but you don't get everything you want. And you got to give something up to the other side. Right. So he says, nobody likes, neither side likes settlements. They got to give something up. But he says, people do settlements all the time because they're afraid that if they don't, Something really bad is going to happen to them. Yeah, they get nothing. Yeah, or they get ten years, or who knows? Well, what yeah, they, you know, sure. Well, he's calling a settlement a what they want. plea bargain. Yeah. Nah, plea, that's what he's talking about. Right. Settlements, plea bargains, the whole thing. <laughs> and at that point, he looked at myself and the other guy that was involved in this case with me at the time. He looked at us and he said, "The problem with you guys is you're not afraid." He says, "I don't think we can get a settlement out of you." No. At which point I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're very concerned. We're we're we're, we're very concerned about this." <laughs> and he kind of looked at me like, "I don't believe you." Yeah. <laughs> but but by saying that, the the settlement process lasted for another couple of months. All right, mm-hmm. and we were able to drag it out for another couple of months, and we were in learning mode. Right. But it was one of the proudest moments of my life. This judge had a degree in psychology, a master's in psychology, before he went to law school. All right? He understands how to read people pretty well. Mm-hmm. 
and he couldn't see any fear in myself and the other guy. He also there. knows how to manipulate people pretty well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he tried to scare us himself when we first took over the case. And we just, and I, I thought, oh, crap, I'm going back to jail again. You know, I thought, oh, my God. And then he, he called for the bailiff, right, as if he was going to throw us in the slammer for something. Oh, my God. And, uh, and then he sent, after a few minutes, he sent, the, he sent the bailiff away, the guard away, whatever. Nothing happened. And he tried to scare us, but he failed to do so. But he couldn't see any fear in us. And that, to me, was just a moment for enormous pride. There was some fear in me. My faith is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I am not fearless, but he couldn't see it. All right? And hey, we're good to go. Unresolved before we were done. They didn't know what to do with us. We weren't afraid. What do your you do with Your fear can be afraid? covered by your faith. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm saying they're inversely proportional, and that's why you go into Revelation 18 or 19, if I recall correctly. Again, you've got this list of people that are doomed to damnation. They are first... first First item on the list is those who fear or the cowardly, depending on what version of the Bible you have. But that cowardice is inversely proportional to your faith. Well, if you don't have any faith and you think this is all there is, all right, then you're scared to death somebody might kill you. Well, and you know, this if you is do a big have problem. faith, hey, yea, though I walk through the valley of the sure. shadow of death. You know, you this know, is a like, big problem here in the United States, too, because. I've noticed that just in my lifetime that this has become a cowardly nation, and nobody wants to hear it. Everybody wants to argue with me when I say that, and you know, less and less people are saying, "Well, you're an American," uh, but you know, ten years ago, yeah, a lot of people would say that when I'd say that. But it's true, and you can see it looking around. And I really do believe it's because they've taken, uh, they they've done their very best, and they still are to try to eradicate the Christian faith from this country. I agree. And, you know, there's another point to that. We see around the world, nobody's really working to eradicate the Muslim faith or the Hindu faith or any number of faiths, with, but Christianity gets a fair share of trouble. From my perspective, I look at that as confirmation that they understand the balance of the faiths aren't hidden. They're not, they're not going to deliver. They're just so much wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. The one faith that seems to take a hit, you can point to the Jews, can point to Judaism as well. Um, you know, they, they would argue that Judaism is reviled wherever it goes. Uh, well, that's more based on their actions than anything. But Yeah, but uh, nevertheless, even so, I'm just saying, this government, our government, they're here to protect the rights of any religion you can name, with one exception, and that's Christianity. Right, and that's true. Right. Yeah, and it's the one, the one faith, and that to me is evidence. It's the only faith this government fears, and so far as they fear any faith, they fear Christianity. And so far as they fear Christianity, it's evidence that Christianity is a valid, a valid faith, and it may be the only true faith. You know, and they've got that truism. I mean, there's, you know, there's biblical truth, and there's just things people have said that just they, everybody's, it's caught on over the years because it's just true, which is, you take the most flat and you're over the target. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I it just makes sense, because if you're over yeah. the target, they're going to, you know, well, hey, we know why you're here, and we got to try to stop you. So you're going to exactly. take the most flack. Exactly. So you can take a certain amount of pride in it. I mean, if they're giving you a bunch of excrement because you happen to be a Christian, 
you know, it's an unfortunate reality, but at the same time, it's a kind of proof that you have a valid faith. <laughs> On the other hand, if they say, oh, you're Muslim, you're Hindu, yeah, fine, go in there. We don't care. Do whatever you want. There's care. your AK. Have fun. Yeah, Have right. Fun. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, don't worry about anything. Yeah. You, know. you know, but then on the other hand, you see, things can go too far the other way. Because I remember around this area, around a lot of the groups, there were people who, and I don't know if they really believed this or if they were just saying it. I think some of them really believed it because they were like, hey, listen, basically, if you're not going to jail every second week, uh, and the government hasn't taken everything you own and put you in a cardboard box, then you're uh, you're not real. You're you're one of them. That's yeah. that paranoid that can go too far, you know. Just like this list, you know. You try to make the point. Well, that, it's look, also a way. You know, it's also a way of saying, well, actually, we're winners, even though we lost everything. Uh, yeah, we're doing good right now. And there's a point to that. I'm not, you know, that may be true in some instances. In other instances, it's just a way of saying, well, I didn't really screw up. Yeah, but is, I, I, my my faith is pure, and I didn't screw up, and they just betrayed my trust when they railroaded me in the court. Not always true. A lot of us win, and a lot of us lose in court because we really are incompetent. That's true, right? and I have. I've and done it myself. I get it. You know, I mean that's the way you that's the way you learn this thing. Sure, it's like any other contact sport. You got to play the game for a while before and get knocked on your butt a few times, and then you be go, oh, oh, See, I get it. Now I understand. I should have caught on early on with my parents because they had the kind of the same plan. Look, we told you not to do that, and you did it anyway. Whack, yep. whack, 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 whack. Are you getting the, getting the picture here yet, kid? <laughs> is this something like cause and effect? Yeah, apparently, you know, uh, it's taken me, uh, I don't, I'm not sure I've still learned it, but, yeah. you know, uh, it's the way of the world. You know, I mean, if you're going like, to step into something, you you know, you just, who steps into anything as an expert, right? Oh, okay, I know exactly what I'm doing uh, now, you know. <laughs> you you got to learn. They're hard lessons because none of this is immediately apparent. No. All right. It's like playing baseball. There's aspects of the game that the average person doesn't even see. But people who know the game, they can they can they can see things that the average person isn't aware of. Yeah, like the you first time you get hit with a pitch, you go, "Holy smokes! I had no idea that hurt so much." <laughs> yeah. And when do I stop? It? When when does the double vision stop? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Why don't we take, we have, yep. I don't know, are we going to take any commercials right now? Well, it is the top of the hour and all. Uh, all right, we we'll go ahead and do whatever we got to do. take here. one. I'm Alfred Adams here with Frank Stefan on the American Independence oh. Hour, and we'll be back in just a moment. Please stay tuned.
countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Adams here with Frank Stefan on the American Independence Hour. This is the second of our two-hour program, two hours every Tuesday, uh, kicking various ideas around. In the second hour, let's start finally with bar cards. <clears throat> and they've got an article here that's entitled The Bar Card and uh, written by uh, Judge Anna Von Reitz, R-E-I-T-Z, and I haven't read the article, but I, I'm not sure whether the text I have is that article or if they're they're just leading me off to it if I have time and inclination to read it. But we're going to talk about bar cards and how they relate to licensing of attorneys. And we're going to particularly talk about one of the quotes that they've got here in this article. And it says, the practice of law cannot be licensed by any state slash state. And they have the first state is lowercase, and the second state is capitalized. The practice of law cannot be licensed by any state slash state. And then they are saying that this goes from a, comes from a case 
called Schwer versus Board of Examiners, 353 U.S. 238. All right? Now, what you have to do with this, I I looked at, I had a, uh, I don't remember if it was an article on jurisdiction, something. And I've seen it since the early 1990s. I've seen it for at least 20 years, <laughs> banging around in the Patriot and legal reform community. And it's a list of all the court cases. I think it had to do with the right to travel. Maybe that's what it was. I don't remember clearly. But it might have been the right to travel. And <clears throat> all right. And I've seen it for years, and I've taken it for granted. I mean, it was, so far as I could tell, it was virtually unchanged in 20 years. And... I'd taken it for granted that all of the quotes in there were accurate. They were in quotes. They said, then it says this, and here's the court case where it cited it. And I looked into two or three of the sites that they had, and I looked for the case on findlaw.com. And when I found it, you do a search and you find out the text that they were quoting for 20 years or more is not there in the court case that I'm able to locate on findlaw.com. It's not there. And I had thought for 20 years I had made a study of it, I hadn't relied on it, but I've seen it repeatedly. I'm going to saw it every two or three years for the last 20 years, 25 years, something like that. And I assumed it was true. Turns out that it wasn't. At least some of the cases that were cited were inaccurate. The sites just, it wasn't there. The statements that they claimed to be associated with the case, in some cases it wasn't even close. Just outright false. Didn't say that. <clears throat> and the point is, if you're going to rely on any of these statements and sites that you find out of uh, or, or statements that you find in some of these court cases that you receive on a list from someone like myself or Frank, or anybody else in the Patriot community, if you're going to rely on that document or any part of it, you had better make it your business to verify that the words you see on the document that's provided by people who are ostensibly your allies, you better make sure that it's really what was said in the case. That's true. That's yeah. absolutely true. And plus, it's big time true. And plus... It, you know, if you're just going to write maybe an article, you got to go that far at least. But if you're going to end up in court, you better pull a case, you better read the context that they yep. said what you see, and you better understand it. Because that judge is going to make you explain it. Yep. And if you can, you're, gonna, you're probably going to do much better than if you sit up there and go, uh, blah, 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 uh, you know, you don't know. Because you didn't read it, yeah. you see, because it's... <laughs> you, because if he finds out you're not reading it, he knows you're a con artist. Right, exactly, and you're he knows you don't understand what you're really saying. Report, you're making a defense, you're providing something, and there's a good chance that your document that includes this text that you're relying on, it's your, there's a good chance that you've submitted that document under oath, under mm -hmm. pains and penalties of perjury. And if the judge finds out, ha, 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 you've been misquoting some other court case and saying it says A and it doesn't say any such thing, insofar as you've made a presentation under oath, 
you got a problem. I've never heard anybody being charged with perjury, but just the same, the judge is. <laughs> he's not going to buy your. He's not going to buy your argument. I yeah. mean, you know, you might not be going to jail for perjury, but you're probably going to be going right. to jail for your first thing because yeah. he's not going to buy your argument. You know, and that's one thing about. I and I really got this. Really got driven home to me on. You know, they they do these things with certain cases that they they don't publish them. And yep. you can't rely on just citing them, okay, when they're mm-hmm. not published. Actually, uh, you can't rely on the case at all, except for the argument they used. Because, obviously, if it's unpublished, that's because they don't want anybody to see. And the reason well, they don't always, want people to see. Not always. I mean, they've, I've seen divorce cases that aren't published. Okay. But the reason is because it's just like a million of divorce cases. All right, it's the same. It's the same story. There's no law there. They don't need to be knocking down trees to report every single case, every traffic case. Sure, every and and there's case. privacy issues with cases like that. But if somebody goes in there and and wins, and not just dismissed, but actually wins, like a traffic case, and they say, "Oh, well, we're not publishing that." Yep. So there's a good reason why they're not, because I that argument that. was probably valid. They couldn't dismiss. They just couldn't. They couldn't get around it. And but they're and they not going to let anybody see it. They take it up on appeal. If they go up on appeal, and the appellate court has to rule in favor of that argument, right? The appellate court is going to change the law for a considerable district, right? Not just one court or one case. All of a sudden, it becomes the law for whatever district that That's appellate right. court handles. So they don't want to send it up on appeal. It's, all right, we're going to let you win, but you. Well, we're not going to let anybody see what. Right. You it do. applies to you and only you. Yeah. is what it comes down to. But if you get your hands on cases like that, and you can read them and understand them, and that's my point. That's where I, I first got into the whole actually reading a case and understanding the argument rather than just citing, well, you know, this guy wanted blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get that. You know, because once you understand the argument, you can make the same argument. Yes, and if it won there, you got a good with chance. A gonna with a different set of facts. Yeah, it's going to win. With the same principle, but, you know, a different set of facts. Sure. It was uh, you're driving a Ford, and the first one was a Dodge, and this time it's a Ford, and other variations. But if you get the principle and right. you can understand it and present it, all right, now you become a dangerous man. And that's the very important thing about, you know, whether it's published or not published, it, it is important to understand the principle of the argument. Of what they're saying and, you know, how they, how they, you know, what they're thinking here. Because it's, you know, I guess it's all legal theory once you're in court because, you know, but like any theory, you take your evidence and you back up your theory with the evidence. And somewhere along the line, you get enough evidence where somebody says, well, you've proved it. Okay. But, you know, every time you go into court, that's what you've got to do. And you can't do that if you don't understand the principle of what you're doing. Well, all right, and I agree with you. Here's on this this article we have here on bar cards, which is the next one on the list of possible. I don't know if you were there, but it's on page yeah. four of the yeah. text I sent you. Yep. All right, down below it says the bar card as per United States Supreme Court. Okay. That's, Starts the paragraph, and it next says the practice of law cannot be licensed by any state slash state, and this is allegedly from Schwer versus Board of Examiners, three fifty three U.S. two thirty eight. All right, now 
Let me see if I can. If we go all the way, I, I, I downloaded a copy of the case, Schwer versus the Board mm-hmm. of Examiners. It begins on page 23 of the document I sent you, Frank. Okay, 23. Because yeah. the pages don't always come up the same. Mm-hmm. Well, I like to mix them up. Yeah, well, I mean, I like you to, know, 23 I like to put you all the odd many. ones first, and then we do the even ones after <laughs> that. It's just, it makes for a more interesting conversation. Well, right? yeah. <laughs> I think I'm down here, but I, okay, U.S. Supreme Court. Square yeah, versus Board of Bar Examiners. Okay, I'm yes, at the right. first page. All right, so all oh, we're not going to get too deep into this. We're not going to have time, and I haven't read the entire case. All right? I've read the syllabus at the beginning of the case. It says, in 1953, the Board of Bar Examiners of New Mexico, doesn't say of the state of New Mexico, the Board of Bar Examiners of New Mexico, in my opinion, that means the Board of Bar Examiners of the Territory of New Mexico. Yeah, I don't think the states have bars. I agree with you. Um, Refused to permit petitioner to take the the bar examination on the grounds that he had not shown good moral character because he'd been arrested a couple of times. He, uh, I don't remember what all he'd done, used an alias a couple of times. Uh, never been convicted on prior occasions, but he had been arrested. And he's been a member of the Communist Party, and the bar examiners of New Mexico wouldn't let him take the bar exam. The state Supreme Court uh, sustained the board, held. Now, this is by, this is ultimately by the United States Supreme Court. On record of this case, the state of New Mexico, woo not New Mexico, the state of New Mexico. They were getting very close to the proper name, and we might be talking about the State of the Union here. It's not mm-hmm. clear to me. Deprived petitioner of due process in denying him the opportunity to qualify for the practice of law. So they threw it back, and they said, you've got to let this guy take the bar exam. They say under first item in, in their reasoning and the uh, – uh, up at the top, it, there's more precision deeper into the case, which I have not read yet. But it says a a state. It's capital S state, which which from my perspective would probably mean a state of the union. A state cannot exclude a person from the practice of law or from any other occupation in a manner or for reasons that contravene the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. Now, Now, without having read further into the document, this appears to be the line that the guy put that first document together, and he's got a list of all the the, the Supreme Court cases and what mm -hmm. they said. He said that according to Schwer, it says they can't, they cannot... they can't let, you can't get a law license in the state, all right? And that's not what they say. That's not what the Supreme Court says here. No. It says a state cannot exclude. They don't mention the law the license, the bar card, all right? They, don't, they just say you can't exclude a person from the practice of law in a manner or for reason that contravenes the due process clause of the 15th Amendment. They do say or any other occupation. So they don't put the law, you know, the practice of law in a different category from any other occupation. I agree with you. And they you. don't say licensed occupation. Yeah, I agree with you. you know? Now, someone has read 
maybe they've read this, because I haven't read the whole case, I don't know, but someone may have read this and concluded, let me go all the way back and read the, what they, what they said at the top of this thing, and the, uh, Barkars, yada, yada. Uh, they said the practice of law cannot be licensed by any state slash state square versus board of examiners. That isn't that, judging that's not what so far. That's not an accurate statement. Well, I see you've you've highlighted something that also demonstrates that 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 isn't what it's saying because it says they're under D. Whether the practice of law is a right or a privilege need not here be determined. That's so right. They're not determining that. Why not? Well, because they don't have to. They're determining a no, due process No, not because thing. they don't have to. They are not determining that because they don't want to. Well, okay. I would say this is a big secret. Whether the practice of law, and this is again from the Supreme Court of the United States, subsection D here, whether the practice of law here is a right or a privilege need not be here determined. Mm-hmm. Okay? Why not? It would sure be helpful if we knew whether the practice of law was a right or a privilege. What do you think it is? Well, I, I think it depends where you're, well, you know, I mean. What's the difference between a right and a privilege? Well, a right can't be uh, taken away. It can't be, uh, it can't be regulated, and uh, you can't charge a fee for it. Um, and the courts have determined that specifically. That you okay, cannot so the, convert. You cannot convert a right to a privilege and charge a fee for it. Okay, okay I agree with that. They've they've determined that. But and what is a privilege? A privilege is a government created uh, advantage they've given you over others. What's the difference between the the privilege and the right? Everybody has rights. Only some and people have privileges. Some people get privileges, and one of the things I've read, and I can't give you a source on it right this minute because I don't recall, but it is something that I looked into and kind of stumbled into, oh, in the last 90 days. I may have talked about it on the program once or twice. I don't know if I have or not. But the privilege includes duties. If you take the privilege, you have to accept the accompanying duties. Take a right. It's a right without any accompanying duties. All right? If you're going to have the right of free speech, you get to stand up and speak, and it doesn't require that you use or not use a bullhorn. You have the right of free speech, and there's no, attend- there's no accompanying duties that run with the right. That's the implication on my understanding. But when you take a privilege, that comes with duties and obligations, which reminds me of court cases and statements by police officers and judges that say the right to travel, the right to drive, is a privilege rather than a right. Well, I'm I'm, I'm confusing. It said that you're... The ability, let me rephrase, the ability to travel, the ability to drive is a privilege rather than a right. The privilege includes duties. You've got to have a driver's license. If uh, if it's part of exercising that privilege, you must have a driver's license. You must have insurance on the automobile. You must have a current registration on the automobile. Your privilege to travel, your privilege to drive includes duties. Right to drive doesn't. Well, I you know, I, I spent 11 years on, on this particular, this was my thing, you know, the right to 
the right to travel. And I, and I did so without a license, insurance, or registration, or even a license plate for like 11 years. And, you know, I, I had run-ins. <laughs> kind of stressful, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And every and, time you start the car up, it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, here we go again. Well, I started collecting dots and trucks, so if one got taken, I'd still have something to drive. You know, but the thing <laughs> is, what I found in my research was that, okay, it's all, it, it revolves around, and, and now in the thing, you see, in this, this could go back to, okay, in the state or in this state, you know, yep, I mean, absolutely. that whole thing. Because absolutely. what they're talking about, and everybody just, you know, it's like calling lobbying, bri- you know, bribery lobbying now, and it's not illegal. Okay, well, driving is a commercial term. Okay, and to be a driver, you have to have a passenger or uh, uh, cargo. Cargo, and a passenger is only someone who pays you to be transported. Uh-huh. And a driver is who you, the license is to operate a motor vehicle, and your motor, your automobile. When you register it, you register it as a passenger vehicle. Yep. So when you put that plate on there, you're saying, hello, I'm transporting passengers, mm-hmm. which is a commercial activity, which is properly regulated by the state. It yeah. is a privilege because what we have out here, we don't have the we have the right of way. And that means that as my car is rolling down the road, whatever space I'm taking up is my space. I own that part of the road while I'm on it. It's mine. I have a right to use it. Yep. So do you. So does everybody else. But you know what? When you go out on my road and you start making personal profit for yourself, see, that's a privilege. Because now they got to tax you. They got to, you know, because you got to pay for the road, man. We want to cut of that money. You're using the road for your own personal gain. It's everybody's road. You're going to have to pay for that privilege. I don't agree that it's everybody's road. It's everybody's right of way. And I, I'm not going to argue this point because I'm not, I haven't, it's not something I've delved into with in, in any depth. You may be right and I may be wrong. But the way I understand it is the right-of-way is down there on the ground. Right. And the road or the highway is built on top of the right-of-way. And it's been donated into a national highway trust or some other sort of local trust. And you are not one of the – you're not holding a title to that that road, you have title to access the right-of-way, in my opinion. But if you don't expressly claim that, they're going to say, whoa, 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 this is our highway. This, is, this highway belongs to the National Highway Trust. Well, sure. Or the State uh, Highway you Trust, have to, the you County know. Roadway Trust, or whatever. <clears throat> and it's a question of, again, you know, when we talk about the law, and they say, that's the law. Okay, that's the law. Where? Right. Where? Where? Where is it the law? And you're right. When it comes to making a legal argument, you got to use the right terminology, like right of way. You got to, oh, yeah. you, you know, and, and you can, you know, it. We've gone through this before many times because it's important when you write a legal document. It's important for you to define your terms also, because you are writing the Wait. document and you're yeah. the one that defines your terms. Because if you don't. Somebody else is going to. And the way they do it is because most of the terms that are important are ambiguous, meaning they have several potential definitions. Sure. You may know what you think 
the definition of a particular term is, like driving. And they say, oh, yeah, I know what that means. Yeah, I'm a driver. Uh, you better look it up. Yep. Because maybe there's a definition for driver that's going to get you fined or perhaps even jailed. If you agree to be the driver, but you don't control the definition of that term. Right. And and you could say, look, you know, if it's uncomfortable and you feel weird by using all these, oh, you know, uh, uh, right of way and, uh, uh-huh. you know, person uh, operating my automobile and, and things like that. And, you know, you don't want to do that. Then you define it and say, for the purposes of this document, driver means. And that way you only have to go through it once. And where and else there. can you apply that? What do you mean? The idea of defining the words in the document. Mm, I don't know anything, I guess. Any document well, you kind create. Of, that's right. For example, who creates the application for a driver's license? Uh, well, the, the form is DMV. I understand that, but who's when this form, from my perspective, the only person who makes that form valid is the one who signs it. Sure. And there are not two people. Nobody from DMV signs that document. In my opinion, that means there is no contract. Mm-hmm. There is no meeting of the minds here. Right? It's not where I sign on this line and you sign on the other line, and it's evidence that we have had a meeting of the minds and you right. and I agree to the terms. If I'm the only one who signs a document, I am the creator of that document. I don't care what the DMV did about mm-hmm. filling out the form. It's irrelevant to me. I won't say it's necessarily irrelevant. But my argument is that document means what I say it means because I'm the only one who signed it. And when I signed it and it said TX in the zip code, I meant within the borders of a state of the union. Right. That's what I meant. Right. right, and you know what? You might. I can go back on those single document word on those single signature documents, and I can tell them this is what it meant to me. This is what I meant when I signed it. And now, you go ahead and put somebody on the witness stand who's going to testify that it doesn't mean what I said. Well, and and you might be right because the thing is, it not the specific of this, but there's some evidence that shows that you might be right because around here, people got the idea basically along the same lines as that argument and said, okay. You know, I'm going to get a driver license, and I'm going to sign it, but I'm going to sign all rights reserved. Yeah. Well, uh, that worked for a little while until DMV started sending back your license, with, with sending you a letter saying, okay, uh, that license is going to be suspended in, you know, 30 or 60 days, whatever, until you come back into DMV and correct your signature. They were not going to allow it to be, they, they did not allow it to be a valid driver license. Why do you think they rejected it? Because you can't, you can't have one and reserve your rights. It's a contradiction. Uh, why do you suppose that is? It's a contradiction because it's probably, you're probably right, but I'm going to guess if you have reserved all your rights, you're probably not talking about a privilege. Right. You're probably talking about a right, and this is interesting stuff. We don't know what the explanation is for a fact, but this is the kind of thing you look at, and it becomes evidence. You know, maybe, maybe people like Frank are on the right track here. You see these oddities from time to time, and you say, gee, why did they do that? You know, I've got an article in here that we won't get to tonight. I don't expect we're going to get to, but it talks about illegal aliens in this country. And someone is commenting on the illegal aliens, and they say, this is so odd. It's, these people don't have any licenses. They don't have any insurance. They don't have one thing or other. When they get stopped, they just essentially get to go away. 
Mm-hmm. And the woman who's making the comment is raising the possibility that the only reason you folks are subject to these laws is because you took the privilege and evidence of that is your driver's license. And with that privilege comes certain duties. And if you don't perform the duties, guess what? You're going to get a traffic fine. Well, and that could very well be. But if you're a legal alien, you are arguably free. Well, and and you're not even a, you know, I mean, look at all the other definitions of individual means you're a citizen. You know, a taxpayer means you're a citizen. This and that and the other thing mean you're a citizen. Well, that may not be a good thing. Any, and not just any kind of citizen, a citizen of the United States and or right. a United States person. Right, and that might be one of the most important places where you say, oh, yeah, well, that's not what it meant to me when I agreed. Exactly. Yeah. What, does, what did it mean? I meant that I, I, meant that I was a citizen of, of the perpetual union style, the United States of America, which includes the states of the union like the state of Oregon or the state of Texas. Right. That's what I meant. I'm the only one who signed it. There's no meeting of the minds. My mind is the only one, because there's no other signature, I'm the only one who can say what those words meant. Right. And, and I can say so under oath, and who is going to stand up on the witness stand and swear to the contrary? Plus, there's all the evidence that any time they've defined any of these terms, it's all ambiguous. Well, it could mean this, or it could mean mm-hmm. that. It could mean, mm-hmm. well, which does it mean? I, I, how am I, so this is what it means to me. You know, hey, and plus you didn't sign it anyway, so what you think doesn't matter anyhow. It's what I think. I signed yeah. it. It's what I think. That's what I meant. Well, and one of the things about this <clears throat> is if I say, if I've signed an application for a driver's license, and on the license it says uh, something refers Texas or TX or state of Texas in all uppercase letters. All right? And I sit and I say, well, what I meant when I, when I read that, I, I just thought it meant the state of Texas, which I know to be the proper name according to the act of March 30th, 1870, year of our Lord, uh, federal act that readmitted what we commonly call Texas back into the representation in Congress as a state of the Union, and they specify the name, the state of Texas. I know this to be true. And I assume that's what you're talking about. You're not running, you're not, you're not <laughs> supposing uh, that the TX identifies the territory, are you, Judge? You're not, How about you're you, not running some kind Are of... you going to stand up and tell me and tell us in front of the jury <laughs> that you're not talking about the state of see, Texas you and the United States of America, the names? I can, I can give you Act of March 30th, the year of our Lord, 1870. I got the Declaration of Independence. You see right, right? there? That's one of those unpublished cases. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you win. Get out. Uh, this is unpublished and... Uh, we're going to pretend you were never here. Yeah, I know. You know, or what we're going to do is we're going to take a continuance. Yeah. See? And we're, the next time you come back, it'll be continued for a month. When you come back in a month, it'll be continued again for another month. And then we'll another month and another month. And if there's ever a time that you don't show up, that'll be the day we have the hearing and we find you guilty. You know, one thing I've found about those continuances, because, I, I you know, and again, this is on a traffic ticket, small scale thing, but they still try to pull it. So you go down there, and I don't know when the last time a cop actually showed up for one of my hearings, but, you know, they don't show up, right? So you're there. and you Do they like, get a merit badge or anything like that that they can put on their sleeve? You know, you know, I showed up for one of Frank's hearings. Yeah, the last time it, it was like, well, 
uh, the officer, you know, he's not here, so uh, what do you want to do? Well, what do I want to do? I want you to dismiss the case. Yeah. Well, you know, we could continue it. And I said, no, I object. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, then dismiss. <laughs> you know, fine. You know, the thing is, I I think a lot of it is, and I and again, the story with the lady that was there, too, who said, I just want to pay my fine. You know, after she just watched me get mine dismissed for the same reason, the same cop wasn't there for her, okay? But the hmm. thing is, I think a lot of this stuff really happens to us because we allow it to happen, because we don't yep. know any better, or we're intimidated, well, because or whatever. We're intimidated and fearful and confused. The whole system, you know, this is not easy stuff. You and I can sit here and laugh about it, but that's after how many years right. of trying to confront this system and talking oh. to other people that are confronting the system and garnering a little bit of knowledge and still having imperfect well, no, I don't, I don't for an example of how, how difficult and how long it takes is I remember being in court and learning, okay, yeah, 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 that's right. I object. Okay, good. Great, right? So I'm in there, and judge says something I didn't, I didn't like, and I said, I object. And he looked at me and says, yeah. I said, yes, I object. And he said, on what grounds? Overruled, and on we go, right? Yep. So I learned something. Okay, you when you object, you got to have a good reason. You got to have a legally based reason. You know, a, 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 oh, a reason based in law. Why I, I don't? No, you can't do that. <clears throat> I object. This is, you know, it's it's enough. You can spend a third of your life trying to learn what the law may really mean all right and then it may take you another third of your life to figure out how the procedures grow so i mean this is a, you this is a labor care. intensive <laughs> this is a labor intensive you know process oh it is but you know and, and you really i think in a way you have to you have to Okay, this is going to sound bizarre and probably uh, mentally ill, but in a way, you have to enjoy it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like people, okay, it's like people who like to do crossword puzzles or do puzzles. See, I think they're mentally ill because that's not something I enjoy, okay? But the law is like a like a puzzle. It's like yeah. a crossword puzzle. It's, yeah. it's, you know, and I enjoy that. So, you know, people got different knots they like to try to untie. I remember a guy named Ross Melton. I haven't seen him for, I'll bet you, 10, 15 years. But he used to come to our meetings back in the 1990s when we had Citizens for Legal Reform in the Dallas area. And we went to, as court watchers, we went to one of his hearings. And he got up and made a few arguments and whatever. And I don't remember what he said one way or another. Um, but the court ruled against him at the trial court level. And on the way out the door, he said, yay, the court ruled against me. I said, what are you talking about? He says, that means I can go up on appeal. And I thought to myself, Ross, you've been studying this law stuff a little too long. You know, when you, this is like getting punched in the head and said, boy, did that feel good. Um, but he's one of the guys who enjoyed it. But, yeah. And, you know, you got to do it. You, it's, it's one of those things where you've got to enjoy this to some degree. There's got to be, 
a string of masochism or something <laughs> like that. You know, I got, you know, I can't afford, I can't afford a dominatrix, so I'm going to I'm get into legal reform. I'm going to yeah. go to court. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that's pretty close, but I mean, you know, it's just, but it's really the thing. You know, some people like to do puzzles, some people like to do crossword puzzles. Mm-hmm. I hate them, but I like the law. And most people hate the law. They read the law and they go, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? What? How long did it take you to learn how to read the law? Uh, years. Me too. I was 17 years reading the law. And again, it was like chewing through a bale of hay. I said that every time I talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, they're not trying to write modern law to illuminate and help us understand. Modern law, the older stuff that goes back, past, you know, earlier than, I don't know, say 1940, 1933, that stuff, they really did, the judges tried to write clearly and even brilliantly, and sometimes they succeeded. Modern law, they are trying to deceive, they're trying to conceal. They are. Writing, I've used the analogy a bunch of times, but it's like they're writing in Greek and in French. And it's not just now, because this case that we were just looking at, yeah. Uh, whether the practice of law is a right or a privilege need not be determined. Why? Yep. Yeah, like you said, why? Why not? Why can't you just say? Why don't well, you just say right here, right now? Thing. If push comes to shove and you get into some sort of an argument that involves who is licensed to practice law and where are they at licensed, that's one of the issues. I want to know, question question for the court, is the practice of law a right or a privilege? And the answer is where. Right. It's a right, in my opinion. I think it's a common law right within the states of the Union. But if you go off into the states of the United States, Union being the United States of America, it's the name they gave it on the Articles of Confederation. It's the name of the Confederation and Perpetual Union. That union is here. It's going to right. be here forever. United States is not the United States of America. Two different venues, planes, all right? If you're in one, you're not in the other one. And if you just, we think if we got rights, yeah, you got rights within the United States of America. But if you've been using Federal Reserve notes, you got a driver's license, you got registration on your vehicle, you signed up for a telephone with 911 service, not only you got a bank card, you signed the bank card, well, then you're not in the United States of America anymore. Unless you say you are. And in the United States, you have privileges that come with duties. See, but every one of those things you mentioned is a one-signature deal. I agree with you. You know, unless I say, no, that's not what I never agreed. That's not what I meant. I agree why would with I mean that? We're going to make that argument. <laughs> you know, why would I mean that? Why would I do that? That's not to my benefit. I wouldn't mean that. That's not what I meant. Mm-hmm. And if and if you're saying I did, then you're pulling some sort of fraud. You're running two systems. Yeah, I think well, you, you should tell everybody. Wrong because I can point to the Articles of Confederation, and they say the United States of America. I can talk to that. I can point to that act that allowed Texas back into representation in Congress after the Civil War. It refers to the state of Texas. That's what I'm talking about. Sure. What are you talking about? And there you is have a different venue. You're not going to tell me you're running a different venue, are you? No, no you, you haven't. You're not do that. <laughs> I guarantee they will never admit. <laughs> I can't absolutely guarantee it, but it's going to be astonishing oh. to see a court or a prosecutor that's going to admit they're running two venues. Now, again, and if they ever did, I guarantee you it would not be published. 
Well, I understand that, but yeah, I mean, they, you know, the, mm. one other point though, just for the you know one other point, we believe that they're running the scam, where they're treating you as if you're in a territory, probably under national emergency rather than within a state of the union. Myself and in that venue, the presumption is you entered it voluntarily and you know what you're doing, and if you say no, I didn't go there. I'm still within the borders of the state of Texas. They have a problem. Somebody's if they either have to say, well, yeah, you're within the borders of the state of Texas. Okay. All right. Now, where do you get your authority to come after me for needing a driver's license? Mm-hmm. And how do you even come in here as an attorney? You've, your license is only good in this state, in my opinion. I can't, can't right. guarantee that, but I think it's true. Strong See, suspicion. What I, I, I honestly really believe that, you know, the – the territories that you referred to, I think what they really are is military districts. I think that's what they did, and I think that's what they are. Not that it matters. It's just a you know a territory or district, whatever it is. It's not one of the states of the Union. That's the point. Whatever it is is not clear. And it may be that in some instances it is a military district, and in other instances mm-hmm. they treat it as an administrative district of the government of the United States, and in another instance they may treat it as a territory. There may sure. not be a single explanation for what it is, but only thing I want to know, look, I'm within a state of the union. Who's going to say I'm not? Who's going to take up? Who's going to step up on the witness stand that you're not the state union? Yeah, and under oath, or your military district, or judicial northern district of the of, of Texas, or something like that. Who's right. Going to say that? And under oath. I know. Meaning, if you're lying, you're going to jail. Yeah, I understand. You know, and uh, you know, hey, they don't. The the main thing is they don't want people to know. They don't want people to know no. what's really going on. This is like a con man. And he's running a scam, and he's making out on it, and nobody knows the the wiser of it, and he wants to not keep even it that most way. attorneys. If the theory is valid, then just because I think it's true doesn't mean that it is valid, but it seems valid to me. If it's valid, the vast majority of attorneys don't even know what we're talking about. No, you know, and you say that, and then people say, "Oh, these guys got to mean that's well." You might be right. We may be mistaken, but still the evidence indicates that only a relative handful of people up at the very top understand. If our theory is valid, only a handful of people at the very top understand what we're talking about. You know, I think there have been some attorneys that have demonstrated that they know something other attorneys don't know. You know, like uh, you know, like the F. Lee Baileys and the, uh, the other guy, uh, oh, well, O.J. Simpson's crew and... Uh, uh, Cardassian was one of them. Yeah, you know, because these guys, oh, like F. Lee Bailey, for instance, had a reputation that, you know, if you got F. Lee Bailey as your as your attorney, you mm-hmm. were getting off. He was going to get you off. He was going to yeah. do what he had to do to get you off. Yeah. But F. Lee Bailey has also been disbarred in several states, Florida being mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, why would they do that to such a, you know, why would they jail him? I mean, if he broke some law or he did something illegal or something, they put him in jail in a heartbeat. But they didn't. They just disbarred him and said, look, you're not practicing this state. What was his offense? Well, he didn't play. You know, I think he knew something that he wasn't supposed to give up as an attorney. And I think I, I think maybe he was just so damn arrogant he didn't think he had to bribe the judge. Okay, but I'm so I don't even have to bribe the judge. I said, you're out of here. If you're not willing to bribe the judge, you get out of here. We don't want you around. I'm joking. I'm joking. But, but then uh, again, yeah, it would be a lot funnier if it wasn't almost 
you know, you think about it and go, boy, you know, that could be true. Yeah, I know. It's the sort of thing where, yeah, you know, that might be that might be the case. Um, so, I don't know. In any case, it is a strange world. I mean, it really does take, you have to have a peculiar mindset to get into this because it's like, it really is very much like a game of Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. where there are strange and mythical beasts that are running around here. And depending on what you say and do, you might get a secret amulet that comes out of a treasure chest and it'll ward off the dragons or something. And uh, we hunt for this stuff. That's what we're doing. It's like a giant Dungeons and Dragons quest. And unlike the one that you can play on the on the on the internet, you know, you can really go to jail on this one. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is no game. It's like a game, but it's not a game. It's dangerous business, so... It's a cross between a war and a game. Yeah. Yeah, You can really get hurt. Yeah, I know. It's extremely... Having spent 344 days in a level 5 maximum security jail, when you get out of there, you don't have what you had when you went in. You are practically reduced to a state of homelessness, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not complaining about that, but nevertheless, it's one of the consequences. The average person, you can't afford to go to jail for a year, Mm-mm. right? You can't afford that. You come out, what happens to your car? What happened to the place you were living in? What happens to your furniture and your personal property and the rest of that? I mean, these are problems, and they may not be there, and your job, your business, if you had a business, now what? I mean, it reduces you down to the status of homeless or very close to it. And not many people can dare to do that. I was fortunate insofar as I didn't have anyone else that I had to take care of. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, they got a wife, they got kids, they got to hold that job, pay the rent, make the mortgage. That means when they get dragged into court and somebody gives them an opportunity to make a plea bargain or bond out and admit they're in the court's jurisdiction, they're going to take the deal. Well, you know, they don't have they don't have the opportunity to make a choice where they can sit back and oh, you're going to hold me for a year. I'm, uh, that's okay. I got I got time. Well, you know, you know this is why I uh, and, and it doesn't even have to be a year. I mean, this is the reason I finally, after 11 years, said, "Fine, you know, I'm going to go get a driver's license." And the reason was, was because my wife died, I had nobody else to run AVR, and I couldn't spend two weeks in jail. Yeah, I understand. I don't care about going to jail for two weeks, but what happens all the hosts would, you're going. they'd find somewhere else to do radio. They'd have to, you know. I mean, yeah. people can't be, uh, well, and then, let's just say everybody says, oh, well, you're just so nice and wonderful and we love you, so we'll, we'll be here when you get out. Okay, great. But uh, what if I still don't have a license? What about next time? Is everybody supposed to sit there and hope that I'll be here tomorrow? Yeah. You know, you have to have some consistency when you run any kind of anything, you know? So I thought, well, okay, what's more important? My quest about this driver license thing that I've been doing for 11 years, and I'm not quite the Pied Piper that I had thought maybe, you know, once people saw, they'd say, hey, I'm getting rid of my license, too. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case. Okay. Nope. <laughs> if anything, over the 11 years, less people cared. And, you know, so I'm like, well, what's more important? 
trying to get, you know, the information out to a wider audience through AVR or my little quest over here. You know, and you got to make decisions. And and, people... and you have prices to pay. Right. Right. And it's a, one of those things where you are forced to make some very difficult compromises that you don't, it doesn't make life easier. That's for mm-hmm. sure. You know, I mean, if you're going to get involved in this, this is, you know, count the cost. Yeah. Because, again, no game. No you game know, it's, uh, you know, and I didn't like doing it, but I had to, you know, I, I honestly had to decide, I, I, you know, what's it going to be, you know, and and how I came to that decision was I, I honestly, one weekend, it was bugging me, you know, I'm like, man, I'm in a jam, because if something happens to me, there is nobody, there is nobody to back me up here, there's no, yep. you know, the lights just go off and that's it, and, uh, you know, I'll get back to it when I'm back, you know, but... Who knows how that long it will be. And uh, so I'm sitting there watching a free weekend of the History Channel on the television. And uh, it was on the big C-band satellite at the time, and they were doing the weekend promotion, like, hey, sign up, you know, we'll give you a free weekend, and uh, maybe then you'll sign up. And I did, actually. And I'm watching it, and they were running the whole weekend on the French Resistance. And I watched this all weekend long. I, I found it really interesting, and I watched this whole thing, and I realized, you know what? During the day, these guys that were throwing on the black hats and the black masks and going out with the explosives and killing Nazis and blowing up bridges and really raising havoc for the Nazis, during the day, when they were walking down the street and somebody said, eh, your papers, they produced papers. Yeah. Well, here they are. I understand that. Well, here they are, because... If you're gonna, you know, where are you gonna, where are you gonna fight your fight, you know, because if you, if can't, you can't get to the fight bridge, every single battle that shows up, right? You be- just can't do it. Because if you Nobody get if you get arrested, the time or the energy, because if you're actually perceptive, you can probably find five fights a day that you can get into on this stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And right? if you, if you, you know, really want to take it, oh, I fight that. I'm gonna fight that. I'm gonna fight that. And I need how many? What's it cost me to file every one of these suits? And blah blah blah. So you look at it and you go, well, now if I'm walking down the street and I decide, well, oh, I'm not getting no Nazi papers. That's it. Hey, I'm a free Frenchman. I'm not getting no Nazi papers. Uh-huh. Well, the yeah, first Nazi dead. you run into is either gonna arrest you or shoot you, and you're never gonna get to that bridge or dam or whatever to go blow it up. You know, if you can't get to the fight, you're, you know, there's no fight. Yeah, so you right. got to pick them, man. You, you got to. And, and that was what I realized watching that all weekend that, you know, I got to, I got to. Yeah, that was okay. Things have changed. I have to, I have to make decisions and I have to change some things. You know? I agree. I agree. It's a, and it's, you know, again, you have to take, if you're going to do this and you're really going to fight this stuff, you more or less have to take a vow of poverty. Yeah. <laughs> and whether you vow to be impoverished or not, guess what? That's, you're going to yeah. probably be impoverished. Yeah. You know, and I... Right. I I've this is not a formula for you know, no. prosperity for most people. Um, you know, but I'm not complaining. I'm not, you know, I, I think the great thing about this, from my perspective, is you get into this battle, you get into this struggle, all right? And you may not be as, as as effective and heroic as you would like to be and as fearless and as, you know, a whole bunch of things. It doesn't work out. But you get one thing out of all of this that I don't think other people have easy access to. And that is meaning in your life. 
I don't know if you understand, if you agree with me on that or not. Yeah, I do. But uh, you, the average person looks at people like myself and says, you're crazy, man. Well, yeah, I might be, but my life really has a kind of meaning. I'm not just putting in my time. Every one of my days is valuable to me. I'm not just working until finally I get a gold watch if I'm lucky and I get retired or something. My life has meaning, and it's something that I can appreciate from where I sit, where I stand. I, I can understand that. I don't know that I can communicate this to other people, but my life is different from the vast majority of the American people who aren't struggling to... I don't know, make something right happen. And maybe foolishly. I mean, it may be that I'm just playing Don Quixote and I'm, I, I'm tilting at windmills. And the whole thing is, I think, I'm claiming I'm, you know, trying to put the lance to one of the giants. And in fact, I'm just poking at these windmills. It may be. It's, it's possible. But just the same. Every so often, in my own little way, I get to sing that song about the impossible dream. And the vast majority of people don't. And I understand that that gives my life a kind of meaning that is, I can't imagine living without it. Yeah, Once you get to it, I mean, how would you live? I'm just going to get a job. I'm going to be a greeter <laughs> at Walmart. <laughs> okay? And I'm going to come home at night and all I'm going to do is watch TV. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Well, you know, it's it's fighting the good fight, and there's nothing in, uh, in fighting no. the good fight that says, "Hey, if you fight the good fight, you're always going to win. You're always going to be uh, happy. You're always going to get rich." And it's because it's the good fight, and good yep. means I win all the time. And uh, <laughs> well, that's not what the good fight means because well, we don't win all the time. Well, I understand we win rarely. Yeah, very rarely. I understand that. But we do win once in a while. Yeah, and that, man, that you know, and even when you don't, even when it's not an unqualified victory, like a dismissal, you know, and you can still take it. And even though I say, you know, because after a while, you know, people would go, man, you won again. You know, first couple times was like, yeah, man, yeah. After, you know, three or four times, it was like, and, and what, what did I win? What, what exactly did I win? Did I? Oh, I won another the right chance to, go to do to this court. again. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I haven't started, stopped anything. No. They can still drag you back into court again, and, uh, you know, God knows where it's. And if you mess up one of these times. Yep. Or they get smart enough to catch you in a way that you haven't anticipated, you know, again, it's going to make for a bad hair day. Sure. And, and, you know, but the thing is, nevertheless, even with those small victories like a dismissal or anything like that or you know i'll tell you one of the one of the real victories that i think i had and and it's minor it's not it's it's really not much of anything but yep. it meant a lot to me i got a car impounded and i decided to challenge it so, I, and this was back before they changed the law here, where now you go to your hearing at the very agency that took your car to find out uh -huh. if it was proper. Yep. You used to go to court, okay? The executives took your car, so you went to the judicial, and they decided if it was proper. 
Well, I went to one of those. And do I, you go to the judicial or do you go to the administrative? The ju- it used to be the judicial. Now it's the administrative. I understand They changed that. the law. I understand but I actually There's went There's the difficulty. Yeah, I went to an actual judicial court to determine whether the executive branch taking my car was proper. And I beat them. Uh-huh. And boy, that lawyer was mad. He was yep. really mad when he walked out. I mean, really angry. And I'll tell you what, when I went down there, the, the lady at the court said, you know, I've worked here 18 years, and I don't know what to do because this is the first we've ever seen anybody mm-hmm. ever win one of these. Yep. And it's a moment. It's a moment that you remember, yep. and it's almost, it's one of those things you can talk about, but there was nobody there probably to share it with other than the lady at the court, right. clerk or whatever it is. She got it. She didn't want to share it. She says, I don't know what the heck is going the on. The guy here. at the tow company, when I walked in there with the order from the judge to give me my car back, he's like, I don't know, I, I, we got to get permission from the sheriff. I said, oh, no, the sheriff's been, been spanked on this. Matter of fact, you need to send the sheriff a bill because he owes you money for storage in a tow. Yep. Uh, and they're going, well, we, you know, he called the sheriff. I said, you know what? I'm going to call the sheriff here and have you arrested for Grand Theft Auto here in a minute. And we ended up getting along after that. But it was uh, it was it was a great day for me. I understand that. And it's you know, you know most people part of the reason work. is because you go through this and you can't help but wonder if you're right or wrong. There's got to be a certain amount of self-doubt in your own mind, and you're wondering if you're not just being a complete fool with some of the things you're doing. But if you can manage a victory, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have evidence. My God, I'm not crazy. This really, this is real. Huh? Yep. Well, that's one of those things where you do that and you say, you know, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I'm going to keep, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stay the course. I, I don't care if I lose from now on. I know yep. I can win, yep. even though even if I never do again. Yep. You know, yep. it was a great time. I mean, better than better. Than, it was better than a dismissal, and I've had better lots win more than of those. A crossword puzzle. Yeah. Uh, better than winning at a crossword puzzle, but we're out of time. We are. Yeah, we've had enough here, and I don't know if we've probably enough for the audience and whatever. I'm Alfred Adams here with Frank Stefan on the American Independence Hour. I want to thank all of you for listening, and we'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Frank, and uh, Melody Cedarson. Good night, folks. From
Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one forty. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
right. Good evening, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is the 19th of May, 2015. It's Tuesday evening. It's about nine minutes after 8 p.m. As a matter of fact, it just turned nine minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. If that's all true where you're at, we are, in fact, live. Being live, that means you can participate in the show 800-932-1980. That's how you call in. You'll get on the air. You'll be heard. Or, if you'd rather not do that, you can participate by going to our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. We have a chat room there. The link is chat. You'll see it. And you can click on that, and you'll go in the chat room, and you can participate in the show by asking questions, making comments, or, hey, you don't have to. You can just uh, chat with the other people in there. You know, they don't always talk about what I'm talking about. They talk about what they want to talk about. But if you want to contact me eh, semi-privately, I mean, it is the Internet after all, so what's private? But thing is, Yahoo Instant Messenger... It only comes to me. It's right here. Um, You can say things like, hey, this is going on here. Don't use my name. Don't even use my location. But this is what's going on here. And why would somebody do that? Well, because you read the stories about people getting fired from their jobs for posting things on FedBook. And, you know, I mean, hey, people can't afford to lose their jobs. I understand that. You know, I criticize government employees all the time with good reason. However, I understand. They got jobs. They got families. They got things. You know, I get the cops, man. They're out there busting heads and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But, you know, they're like, well, I got, you know, I got to follow orders, man. I, you know, I got a family. I got kids. I got, I got to take care of them. I got to pay the bills. Yeah, well, okay, I get that. And there's going to come a time when you're not going to be able to, you know, you're going to have to make a serious choice, and you're not going to be able... You're going to have to either go all bad or all good. But I don't think we're at that case right now, and people in those situations can still help, okay? They don't have to expose their families to the cardboard box or themselves to unemployment or professional ridicule, or maybe when you're a cop, even worse, maybe you'll have your your good partner shoot you dead, you know, because there's a lot of cops, uh, <laughs> I think most of them that are shot are shot by their own uh, their own people. You know, so you don't have to put yourself at risk just yet. You can still help. And it doesn't have to be me. It can be any other alternative outlet that's going to actually get your story out, get your information out. I consider, and I don't know these guys if they're... You know, for real, or they're, you know, what, fake shills, whatever. You know, the WikiLeaks guy, the uh, Snowden guy, I don't know. I don't know what their real deal is. But they did a service to the American people regardless of what their real deal is. They exposed information that needed to be exposed, and they're being punished for it. And, you know, a lot of you out there know stuff from your job and where you're at, and you know what? 
if the people in charge knew you were giving it up, you'd be punished too. So that's why you might want to keep it a little, uh, you know, if you're going to give information out that could get you in trouble, you know, try to take precautions. But try to get it out, okay? Honestly, really, because, you know, people got to start doing things. We got to start at least talking about what we know is going on. Like, for instance, what about those five Walmarts? Huh? What about those five Walmarts closed for six months because of plumbing? Yeah, really? That, really? They, who's going to believe that story from Walmart? Walmart would never close a store for six months unless they were tearing it down and remodeling it. But for a plumbing problem? You don't think they put porta potties out in the parking lot first? And then blackening out the, the windows? Wait a minute, what's going on? People need to start taking pictures and starting to expose what's going on. What's going on with Jade Helm? You know anything? I don't. I live in Oregon. They're not having it here. Gotta let people know. There's a lot of great sites out there like Cop Block, you know, and they focus on police brutality, police misconduct. You can go there and you want to get really mad? Spend a couple hours reading that site. Let's get on to some stuff. Yep, you heard of George Step on all of us, didn't you? You know, Clinton's little boy, his little water boy. Yeah, who now is a big TV star and somebody we're supposed to listen to? Well, guess what? ABC has plenty of reasons to be freaking out over the George Stepanopoulos scandal. $105 million to be exact. Can you imagine? The Good Morning America and This Week anchor renewed his contract last year for $105 million. They're paying this little creep $105 million? The seven-year deal, which dwarfs the five-year $50 million contract scored by since-suspended NBC rival Brian Williams was supposed to keep step on all of us in front of ABC's cameras through 2021. But now, his credibility and future have been called into question since he admitted Friday that he had donated $75,000 to the Clinton Foundation since 2011, just as the presidential race gears up with Hillary Rodham Clinton, the leading Democrat. In a mea culpa delivered Sunday on this week, step on all of us, who was also a top aide in President Bill Clinton's White House, said the gifts were a matter of public record, but I should have made an additional disclosures on the air when we covered the foundation. Oh, so you covered the foundation about all their good work and all their wonderful deeds and all their... Yeah, yeah, sure, step on all of us. Did you tell everybody that most of the money's coming from foreign countries? No. 
You see, you've got people donating money to this who used to work for these people, and ABC is actually running stories with this guy investigating the foundation? Are you kidding me? We're supposed to believe this? It's his second on-air apology in less than a week. Well, I don't accept it. How about you? Sources have said ABC News executives were blindsided by Stepan Oliva's largest. And one TV insider noted Monday that ABC really has all their money on Stepan Oliva's. Really? Well, I guess ABC needs to go out of business then. ABC was desperate to lock him down after Josh Elliott left. But network execs didn't announce the figure because they didn't want George to get the kind of backlash that Matt Lauder got over his huge NBC contract, which pays him $20 million a year to host the Today Show. If Stepan Oliver stumbles, so does the network. Well, uh, you know what? This is more than a stumble. This is a you fell down and we should kick your head in. Okay? That, that's really what it ought to be, folks. Step on all of us. It's fallen down and the public should kick his stinking head in. You know why? Because he got on TV and pretended to do a story about the Clinton Foundation when he's not only just an ex-employee of the Clintons, he's also a donator. And why would he do that? Why would he donate to them? Does he really think they don't have enough money, or did somehow the Clintons get him his job and he owes them a little bit of a kickback? When Stepan Olivas signed his contract extension in April 2014, an ABC spokesman said, George is vital to the success of the news division and will continue to be a leader here at ABC News. We expect him to remain with us for many, many years. Really? Why don't you just hire Chelsea Clinton while you're at it to be an anchor? I mean, we want unbiased coverage of the Clintons, don't we? Well, who better to give unbiased coverage than Chelsea Clinton or George Stepp on all of us? This is insane, folks. I mean, ABC has lost any bit of credibility. Okay, sure, Brian Williams made up a bunch of stories about what a big hero journalist he is when he's not. Okay, fine, you're a liar, you make up stories, you wanted to seem better than you are. That's not good, but you know what? How come he got suspended and step on all of us is still working the, working the joint over here for the Clintons? Come on! Just remember, folks, when you're watching ABC News, you're watching the Clinton Network. Okay? They got their boy in there, carrying their water for them. They're, they're little propagandists, shoveling BS your way all day on ABC News. Republicans have already said that Stepanopoulos donations disqualified him from moderating a GOP primary debate. And a spokesman for one candidate, U.S. Senator Rand Paul, went even further on Monday. Senator Paul believes that Stepan Oliver's ties to the Clintons makes it impossible for him to be a fair reporter. I agree. He, said he has avoided being on his program for over a year and will continue to do so. 
Well, you know what? I don't think any Republican ought to go on step on office program. You're not going to get a fair shake. You know who he's working for now. And if you're a Republican and you show up on his show, you're no Republican. You're nothing but a Clinton shill. That's what I think. Democrats, meanwhile, we're going easy on the hobbled host and his cash connections to Hillary Clinton. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who is Hillary Clinton's only declared primary opponent, told CNN that Stepan Olivas should have made his donations public, but added the scandal wasn't the biggest deal in the world. No, it's not the biggest deal in the world. Monsanto poisoning the population with its GMO frankenfood might be the biggest deal on the earth. Or, uh, let's see, the frackers destroying the aquifers of the United States, that might be a bigger story, you know, but Fukushima spitting out radiation into the atmosphere consistently and nobody's doing anything about it, that might be a bigger story. I agree, there are bigger stories than this. But as far as political news reporting goes, step on all of us ought to be finished. He ought to be done, and they ought to flush ABC down the tubes along with him. A spokesman for former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley, who is also a good pal of the Clintons, let's not forget that. This is a, such a setup, folks. Yeah, O'Malley, good pal of the Clintons, but he's going to run against her? Give me a break. Give me a break. Either he's going to get out there and get some votes and then throw it all behind Hillary. Oh, you know, I want to spend more time with my family, and I want you, if you were going to vote for me, to vote for her because she's really great. Or it's been a setup, and Hillary wants to control things from behind the scenes, and she's going to do the same and throw her backing behind him, and that way she'll have her own little second puppet in the White House. Wee! First it was Bill. Now it's going to be O'Malley. Yay! He's flirting with a presidential run, said, we've always found him to be fair. Well, of course you have. You're all Clinton buddies. Folks, this, you know what? I don't know what to tell you. If you don't know already that the Clintons don't play fair, anybody involved with the Clintons is suspect, then you're an idiot. Okay? I'm sorry. I I hate to call people names, but actually, no, I don't, because you are an idiot. If you, you know, really. Now, is this anything saying that, oh, Jeb Bush is good or the Republicans are good? No, it isn't. Not even close, okay? They're just as bad. They just haven't got around to him yet. But, I mean, come on. Hillary Clinton? You know, she ought to be glad we haven't put her in prison or hung her up from a rope. And now she's running for president again? Talk about hubris. Nothing matters. No, nothing matters. Hey, it wasn't bad enough that Bill Clinton sold out military secrets to the Chinese for campaign contributions from them. Now, Hillary was selling favors at the State Department to foreign nations, and it's all documented. They get their little shill at ABC to prop them up through there. Come on, man. How wrong does this have to go before people wake up? Now, here we have Elizabeth Warren, all right? Another Democratic shill who everybody, oh, boy, isn't she something? Oh, boy, isn't she blah, 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 blah. Yeah, really? Okay. Here we go. Quote, you need to tell me what's wrong with this trade agreement. 
Not one that was passed 25 years ago. A a frustrated President Barack Obama recently complained about the criticisms of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. He's right. The public criticisms of the TPP have been vague. That's by design. Anybody who has read the text of the agreement could be jailed for disclosing its content. I've actually read the TPP text provided to the government's own advisors, and I've given the president an earful about how this trade deal will damage the nation. But I can't share my criticisms with you. Really? Why? Because somebody says so? Where's the law? Where's the authorization that Congress can't speak to the American people about a trade deal? I can tell you that Elizabeth Warren is right about her criticisms of the trade deal. We should be very concerned about what's hidden in this trade deal, and particularly how the Obama administration is keeping information secret, even from those who are supposed to provide advice. This is supposedly by Michael Wessel, who's supposedly seen it, but he can't tell us. Because somebody's going to come and scoop him up and throw him in prison. Sure. So-called cleared advisors, like me, are prohibited from sharing publicly the criticisms we've lodged about specific proposals and approaches. The government has created a perfect catch-22. The law prohibits us from talking about the specifics of what we've seen, allowing the president to criticize us for not being specific, instead of simply admitting that he disagrees with me and with many other cleared advisors about the merits of the TPP. The president instead pretends that our specific point, pointed criticisms don't exist. Well, I'm not reading any more of this from a coward who won't get up and tell us what he saw. I'm sorry. You know what? Then don't write anything. I don't care what you have to say. Oh, I've read it. I've seen it. It's bad. But I can't tell you. Really? Really? Because somebody said, oh, we'll come and get you. We'll arrest you. Really? What's the law? Where, where is the law that you, gets, you get to arrest anybody uh, for telling anybody about a trade agreement? Huh? Uh, it's, it, you know, we have a nation of cowards, folks, and I'm sorry to say, and, and, and this isn't, you know, cowards about somebody who's just going to, oh, they don't want to get in a fight, they don't want to stand up and get their lights punched out or something like this. I'm talking about cowards who are too scared to even say anything. You know, and these same pieces of garbage have the nerve to criticize somebody like Eric Snowden? You know, you can believe whatever you want about the guy, and I'm not sure what to believe about him. I don't know who he was really working for, and I don't really care. The information he provided was good information for us to know. It was information about the government screwing over its own people. And if these pieces of garbage want to write articles about what they know, but I can't really tell you what I know. All I can tell you is the ones criticizing it are right, but I can't tell you anything else because I'm a coward. Then don't even bother writing anything. Just, it makes me sick. Meanwhile, we have this, this 
I don't know what she looks like. She looks like some sort of like 70-year-old prostitute. Okay, Congresswoman uh, uh, Frederica S. Wilson. Yeah. Why am I being so harsh on her? Well, because she's, she's pushing a new mandatory vaccination bill before Congress. Unbelievable, folks. You know, I, I mean... So, what's something's wrong here with the TPP? Well, I've mentioned that this is like Nafta and Gat on crack. Okay? And even the president has said, oh, this is going to make those even better. Yeah, even better. Want to see how better? The World Trade Organization ruled that mandatory country of origin labels, rules for meat and poultry that went into effect in the United States in 2013 are not compliant with global trade standards. Now, remember this piece of garbage in the White House said that no way is any trade agreement going to make the United States change its laws. Really? Obama is a liar. He's a bald-faced, homosexual liar, all right? Everything about this guy is a fraud. Every word out of his mouth is a fraud. And this is evidence. Are not compliant with global trade standards. The WTO continued to find that the goal of providing information to consumers was compliant with international trade rules, but it decided narrowly that the implementation of the rules for cool labels negatively impacted livestock imports from Canada and Mexico. So, see, because there's companies in Canada and Mexico losing money, you don't get to know where your food's coming from. This is just the latest example of how multinational companies use the global trade system to attack basic protections for U.S. consumers, said Food and Water Watch Executive Director Winoa Haunter. The meat industry has been trying and failing for years to get rid of cool through the U.S. system, so it had to use unaccountable, unelected trade officials at the WTO to do its dirty work. The case also highlights how international trade deals can trump the will of the American public and Congress. The Obama administration is currently pushing two new trade deals with the European Union and 11 Pacific Rim nations and has repeatedly said that these new deals won't overturn U.S. laws. While the deals themselves may not wipe out U.S. laws, they do establish trade tribunals that can be used to do so, just like in this case, just like it's happening right now. The President of the United States is a ball-faced liar. The cool case proves that trade agreements can and do trump U.S. laws, said Haunter. This is a chilling reminder that our very democracy is at stake in these trade deals. No, it's not our very democracy. It's the sovereignty of the American people and the government that is screwing them. Congress should reject calls to fast-track new trade deals to maintain its legislative autonomy rather than creating new trade tribunals that can wipe out U.S. laws. So there you go, folks. How much more do you need to know? 
about TPP. Any U.S. laws that an international tribunal bought and paid for by multinational corporations don't like some U.S. law, then it's gone. They just rule, hey, sorry, it's in violation of the trade deal. Unbelievable. I'm... You upset yet? Are you upset yet? Well, if you are, we'll take a break so everybody can cool down and we'll come back and upset you some more in a few minutes. But we'll play Stump the Room, too. So if you want to play, go to the uh, chat room. The game is... I play the music, you guess the band. Pretty simple. Anyway... We'll be back in a few.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. 
No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 225 4659. That's 541 225 4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
All right, welcome back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephanie. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. And uh, let's see, it's the 19th of 2015. It's Tuesday, 846 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If all that's true, where you're at, we're live. Now, the room did not get the first song, which was uh, a rendition of You Can't Always Get What You Want by Rusted Roots. And the second one was uh, a uh, song called Action Man by Widespread Panic, which was gotten from somebody up in the Northwest, and they're a band out of Athens, Georgia. Some of our Southerners in the room should have got that one. Anywho, (laughs) Ah, okay, so we tied. I got one, the room got one, that's how we play. Anyway, you can participate, not in that anymore, because, uh, you know, break's over, but you can go to the chat room at theamericanvoice.com uh, or americanvoiceradio.com. Look for the chat link, click it, go on in there, and uh, chat with the other folks in there. Okay. So let's get back to all the horribleness of the news. Man, I'll tell you. How about this? More about this, you know, I'm here to tell you, I'm not looking forward to the next election. And the reason why is because, you know, every time I, well, since, let's see, Ronald Reagan. Yeah, since Ronald, well, actually, actually, uh, since, uh, well, Richard Nixon, actually. Yeah, since Richard Nixon, I've said, gosh, this is the worst president we've ever had. Yet only to be outdone by the next worst president we've ever had. And it's gone on and on, folks. I mean, we had Richard Nixon where you go, oh my gosh, this guy's a crook. He's the worst president we've ever had. Followed by uh, Chevy Chase. Uh, Oh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Gerald Ford. And you might think, oh, come on now. You're just making fun of a goofball who can't stand up or walk or anything like that because he's too drunk to do anything. Yeah, he was... No, no, no. See, there's much more than that. He played the bumbling idiot as president. But you know where Jerry Ford was? That's right. He was part of the Warren Commission cover-up of who really killed JFK. Okay? Scumbag. Glad he's dead. Hope he got his just reward. But after that, you figure, well, okay, this is definitely the worst. I mean, he wasn't even elected by anybody, okay? So then we have Jimmy Carter. And you go, oh, my gosh, this is an embarrassment. You know, know, because we were used to a strong, you know, uh, strong country, you know, and all this was terrible time. Recession, bad economy, weak military, you know, just got our butts kicked in Vietnam. Just bad, right? Jimmy Carter was not a strong president. His brother was an embarrassment. It's like, oh, gosh, this is even worse than Jerry Ford. I mean, golly, at least Jerry Ford didn't have a brother. And then what? Ronald Reagan. And we all thought, oh, boy, here comes. This is just great. Yeah, 
I didn't. I did not vote for Ronald Reagan. As a matter of fact, I voted for Jimmy Carter. And not the first time because I was too young. But the second time, I voted for Jimmy Carter over Ronald Reagan. Now, you can say, well, you're an idiot. You know, maybe. But Ronald Reagan did more to destroy this country than any other president up until Barack Obama. And not yet. See, he ain't done. If he gets everything he wants, then he will be the king of the destruction of America. But Ronald Reagan, let me tell you something. All these economic problems, all these trade problems, all these big business taking over, multinational corporations squeezing out the life of the American middle class, all started because of Ronald Reagan. He called it deregulation. The destruction of the trucking industry, Ronald Reagan. The destruction of the unions, livable wages, Ronald Reagan. Yeah, now listen, I'm not taking it away from Ronald Reagan that he didn't deliver a great speech. That he didn't have some really good rhetoric. But that's all it really was, was rhetoric. Other people's words. What was going on behind the scenes was he was nothing but a bobblehead puppet of George Bush Sr. And then, what do we get? George Bush himself. Do you see what I mean about, oh man, worse and then worse and then worse and then worse, and what happened after that? Bill Clinton. Oh man. Oh man. And then what? Another Bush. And now we have Obama. Is this pathetic or what? Are you really telling me in a country of three million, 330 million people, these are the best we've been able to come up with? It's like we've got a, 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 an election of the biggest scumbag on earth. Well, hey, we're having, instead of dancing with the stars, we're having dancing with the biggest scumbag on earth. We call it the United States presidency. It's, it's pathetic. It's, it's sickening. And it's angering. But here we go with another Obama story, because this is, like I said, he's not done yet, and if he gets everything he'd like, he will be the most destructive United States president ever. Right now, I'm giving that to um, Reagan. Now, hey, I gotta say, Wilson, you know, Wilson has, uh, you know, he's got a pretty good in on that. He really does. You know, the 16th Amendment and all, Federal Reserve Act, yeah, that sort of thing. Really, really bad, but, you know, he might actually be ahead of Reagan on that, but that was before my time. On Monday, yesterday, U.S. President Barack Obama traveled to Camden, New Jersey, America's poorest city. Folks, you know, you thought Detroit or, you know, Ferguson or, you know, some other city was the... Uh, man, I'm telling you, I've been to Camden, New Jersey uh, several times because it's right across from Philadelphia and it is a pit and it always has been a pit. Trent, New Jersey is the capital of New Jersey and it is almost as bad. New Jersey has some of the worst places 
on the planet. But guess what? Up in northern New Jersey, some of the richest, most powerful elite in the planet live there. Yeah, I know right where they live. I know the streets they live. I used to live there. So, if you think the New World Order is going to be good for you, take a look at New Jersey. Because that's the way they want the world. They want the world to be one big stinking New Jersey. Where they get to live in their castles on one part, and then everybody else gets to live in a cesspool. That's New Jersey. And that's what they want for the rest of the world. Telling you. So, Obama goes to the sewer. Why? Well, to praise its brutal police department and reaffirm his support for federal programs that have transferred billions of dollars in military hardware to local police departments. That's right. You know, while Obama's on there talking about how we need to be, uh, you know, uh, we need to be a little more nicer to the people in uh, places so they don't burn the place down and all this, police brutality's got to stop. He's there shoveling more stuff to the police military. Reports of police brutality by Camden cops have nearly doubled since 2011. And last year, Camden had substantially more reported brutality complaints than nearby Jersey City, which has four times more people. What does Obama say about Camden? This city is on to something. Yeah, that's what Obama declared. This city's on to something. Yeah, police brutality, that's what they're on to. This is what we want. This is what we're going for. America's major news outlets, which function as little more than state propaganda outlets, could be counted on to report the exact opposite of reality. According to the New York Times, Obama used his visit to crack down on overly aggressive police tactics and limit military-style equipment for police forces. These claims are based on Obama's announcement that the White House will no longer transfer a small range of highly specialized military assets to local police departments, including bayonets, 50 caliber rifles, and tracked fighting vehicles. Wow, what a step in the right direction. These types of ordinance are, from a military counterinsurgency standpoint, either obsolete or inappropriate. The U.S. Army, for example, has dropped bayonet training for recruits. While 50 caliber rifles are generally not considered anti-personnel weapons, they're, they're sniper weapons is what they are, folks. Hello. That's what a 50 caliber rifle is good for, is long-range sniper rifle and you've got your police having them, thank you, Obama, because, boy, that's what they need. They're used instead to target communication system, grounded aircraft and radar installations, meaning that no sensible anti-civilian death squad would carry them. This is t- well, are, we not, are we not catching on? Uh, did we not watch the movie Sniper? Do we not realize that they use 50 caliber rifles as sniper rifles? How come this report's not used, it's saying that, huh? Other restrictions proposed by Obama are almost entirely meaningless. The Times report that the list of prohibited items includes camouflage uniforms. Ooh, yeah, because those are really scary. They kill a lot of people, man, I'll tell you. You you look at the camouflage the wrong way and you just drop dead. But a 
quick glance at the White House document outlining the proposals notes that the restriction does not include woodland or desert patterns or solid color uniforms. Well, okay, woodland or desert patterns? But you're not going to give them any more camouflage? Like what? Like the, the Arctic camouflage? They're not going to have that anymore? Wow, boy, there's something. Obama's order explicitly permits the provision of wheeled armored combat vehicles, known as MRAPs, as well as assault and sniper rifles, belt-fed machine guns, and military aircraft and helicopters. In fact, essentially none of the hardware deployed by militarized police during the crackdown on peaceful protests in Ferguson, Missouri last year fall under the White House's prohibitions. Again, did I mention that Obama is a bald-faced liar? (laughs) Well, you know, I figured I'd mention it again because apparently people aren't getting it. Dozens of articles have been published in the last few weeks glorifying the removal of vaccine exemptions. The state of Vermont, whose state model is freedom and unity, voted 85 to 57 to remove the state's philosophical exemption. Other states under heavy fire, California, New Jersey, Connecticut, Maine. Why should we have to fight so hard to protect our children, our own body, from medical tyranny? But the introduction of the Vaccinate All the Children Act of 2015 by Spanish dancer, whore-looking congresswoman Frederica S. Wilson has really got me going. My biggest concern is a sneak attack like the introduction of Division E, now called the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act. Introduced by Senator Bill Frist in 2005, the groundwork for mandatory vaccination was all for all was set in motion by this bill, and it was signed and delivered in 2005. Man, yeah, and it wasn't separate legislation. It's what they do, man. They they put it on the 11th hour defense appropriations thing. You know, must pass bills because we got to keep funding our military because, hey, you know, there might be somebody out there we haven't got to killing yet, so we got to make sure the military doesn't run out of money before they get to kill every last person on Earth. Yeah. You know what, folks? There ought to be rules like there are in Oregon here for... Only for the ballot measures, though. See, if you want a ballot measure, it can only be one subject, okay? That should be all bills in Congress and every state legislature, that they don't get to sneak this crap in there in the last minute. Uh, Folks, you better get ready, because this is not going to end well. Prepare yourself. I got to go. I'll be back again tomorrow.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. The following you are about to hear may seem strange and bizarre, but it is our intention to bring you only documented proof. The general public is unaware of the fact that for the past 200 years, fires of revolution have been smoldering beneath the whole structure of civilization. In 1953, the California Senate Investigating Committee on Education released its 11th annual report. On pages 169 and 170 of that document, we find the following words. Quote, So-called modern communism is apparently the same hypocritical and deadly world conspiracy to destroy civilization that was founded by the secret order of the Illuminati in Bavaria on May 1st, 1776. The recognition of May 1st, 1776 as the founding date of this world revolution conspiracy is not hard to understand when it is realized that May Day is frequently celebrated even in recent times by rioting and bloodshed on a worldwide scale. It was not until 1847 or 48 that the communist conspirators who had theretofore operated in secret came out into the open with the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, boldly proclaiming against practically everything upon which civilization is based, God, religion, the family, individual liberty, and so forth. The concluding paragraph on the manifesto reading, Communists scorn to hide their views and aims. 
they openly declare that their purpose can only be achieved by forcible overthrow of the whole existing social order. Let the ruling classes tremble at the prospect of a communist revolution. Proletarians have nothing to lose but their chains. They have a world to win. Proletarians of all lands unite. In issuing this manifesto, the communist conspirators evidently believed that time had arrived when, with the aid of ignorant victims, a worldwide takeover could be accomplished. But there were not enough ignorant victims to manipulate them, and the expectant coup failed. The conspirators thereupon conceived a plan for the future of supplementing the long-established secret conspiracy in existence since 1776 with an unremitting public campaign for victims among the ignorant of all nations. And in an attempt to hide from view the underlying hypocritical conspiracy existing since May 1st, 1776, it was decided that in such public campaign, the manifesto of 1848 should be heralded as the founding date of communism and Karl Marx falsely proclaimed as its author. So wrote the elected members of this California State Senate Committee in 1953. Here and there, lone voices have been raised to alert the world to the imminent dangers from this satanic conspiracy of the forces of darkness. Their voices have largely gone unheeded, and even many leaders of the so-called anti-communist movement have failed to grasp the staggering realities of this conspiracy within the conspiracy. One who saw the total picture was Commander William Guy Carr. This recording was taken from a speech delivered by Commander Carr in Chicago in 1958, a few months before his death. It was not Carr's intention to document the whole history of the Illuminati conspiracy in this speech, since a great many books had already been printed on the Illuminati, the World Revolutionary Movement, including his own books, Pawns in the Game and Red Fog Over America. In this speech, Commander Carr sets forth the basic philosophical concepts behind the greatest mystery of all time, the revolutionary attempts to overthrow all governments and all religions in order to enslave the whole human race under a super one-world government ruled by satanic despotism. As an official lecturer for the Royal Canadian Navy, Commander Carr constantly warned large audiences in the 30s about the world conspiracy and the forthcoming Second World War. During that time, he wrote seven best-selling novels. Some were selected to become part of the Royal Library, the Library of War Museum, and the Sir Millington Drake Library at Eton College, and the Braille Library for the Blind. Carr's most widely read book, Pawns in the Game, is considered by most historical experts of the Illuminati as the most comprehensively documented book 
ever published on the Illuminati. The sound on this recording is primitive due to the fact that it was placed on tape in a large meeting hall. However, despite the sound quality and other technical shortcomings, the facts contained in this speech are of such significance that it is reproduced exactly as it was given. Carr's speech will be interrupted occasionally by this narrator, who will insert salient comments on what Carr has said in order to highlight certain particularly significant parts of his message. This recording is not meant to entertain the listener. It is an historical recording of great importance about a conspiracy that has lasted for thousands of years. Numerous books have been written on the subject of the Illuminati, and it has been referred to by such men as George Washington, John Adams, and Abraham Lincoln. A list of books for the listener who wishes to pursue this subject will be found on the liner notes on the back of this record. I would like to present to you a speaker that has given much of his life for the welfare of humanity and to study the things that are going on in the world revolutionary movement. Our speaker this evening has a very wonderful way of presenting a message that is so badly needed and I hope that each of you will listen uh, with open minds and forget all Madam Chairman, ladies and gentlemen, the inspiring words of the song that you've just sung, Parallel Hours in Canada, We Single Canada, as God Save Our Queen, but all citizens of countries that we still speak of as being free are in the same boat. Unless we be doers of the word as well as hearers, unless we translate what we say into action, I'm afraid we are going to suffer the penalty of our indifference. We have the word of the Our Father. Everybody prays it. Many times a day, in some cases, we say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. But what do we actually do towards establishing God's plan for the rule of creation and putting it into effect on this earth? If we had, during the last 2,000 years, put those words into effect, the Luciferian conspiracy could not have developed to where it is today in its semi-final stage. Adam Weishoff, who is a doctor of canon law in Eaglestad University, revised and modernized the age-old conspiracy and then reorganized the Illuminati and 
secret hiding place. These brilliant-minded men consisted of men of all walks of life, scientists, military leaders, economists, educationalists, encyclopedias, and so on. That is where the word Illuminati is derived from. They are undoubtedly brilliant-minded men. And unfortunately, they have become self-conceited, so swell-headed, that they actually believe that they know better than Almighty God how the universe should be ruled, and that is the struggle that's going on today. If we stop to finish revising the age-old conspiracy and modernizing it, on May 1st, 1776, he said that communism, Jacobinism, Nazism, world federalism, political Zionism, and any and all other organizations that had internationalism or one world government as their ultimate aim were to be organized, financed, directed, and controlled by the members of the Illuminati. The Illuminati, down through the ages of time, have always made provision to elect and select those who are to succeed them from their own immediate entourage. They are children of well-bred families whom, because of the fact that they show exceptional mental achievement, are highly educated and thoroughly trained to serve the purpose of those that direct the world revolutionary movement. These youngsters, when they are going through college and university, don't realize why they are being showered with the grants and scholarships and all the rest. They become strongly attached for those that finance their education and then place them into exceptional remunerated positions. And it is useless to deny the fact that after these brilliant-minded young men have been educated under the tuition of men that represent themselves as one-worlders, that they are fully qualified to act as specialists, experts, and advisors behind the scenes of our government. Thus it is through these men, whom we term agentur, that the governments of your country and mine, since way back in history, have been made or advised or pressured into accepting policies that have always ended in reoccurring wars and revolutions. Because the principle on which the Luciferian conspiracy is based is the ability to keep 
secret their plans and for the Illuminati and their agent tour to keep dividing the world's population into opposing camps in ever-increasing numbers so that they can be armed and after they are armed they are built up to more or less equal in strength, we call that in military terms balance of power, and after that has been done, the Illuminati invariably produce the incident which will cause the opposing sides to fight and destroy each other, while those that foment the uh, wars and revolutions reap the financial benefits and sit back on the sidelines patiently waiting for the day when all governments and religions will have been destroyed as world powers. Westhoff said that when this point is reached, then for the first time they will make known to the masses the pure light of the true doctrine of Lucifer and impose it with satanic despotism. What Weishaupt said in the 1700s, the latter part of the 1700s, Pike, General Albert Pike, confirmed in the latter part of the 1800s. Pike with the aid of Giuseppe Mazzini worked out the military blueprint which would cause the world to be involved in wars and revolutions until, to use his own words, only two world powers remained and those two were to be the people controlled by the leaders of atheistic communism and those that subscribe to the Christian religion. I know it is very hard for the average, decent, clean-minded citizen to realize that such a devilish, and I have used the word advisedly, diabolical plot has been in operation. But the scriptures the Old Testament is nothing more or less than the history of that conspiracy of the Luciferian forces to prevent the human race establishing God's plan for the rule of creation, putting it in effect on this earth. Christ himself came to show us what must be done if we were going to halt that conspiracy on this earth, as St. Michael halted it in heaven. He told us who were directing that experience. He said, it is they of the synagogue of Satan. He said, they are sons of the devil, Lucifer, whose lust they will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He knows not the truth, for the truth is not in him. When asked, who are these? Men, he said, them that call themselves Jews, but are not, and do lie. The devil's whole plan is to use cunning and deceit. That is why our Heavenly Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, told us that 
he was the father of lies. And they will make any statement and justify the telling of a deliberate lie, providing it moves their conspiracy towards its final goal. Mazzini, Giuseppe Mazzini, was an Italian. If you look in your encyclopedias, you will find him eulogized as a great Italian patriot. That is how the Asians who direct this conspiracy deceive the people into believing what is a direct lie. Giuseppe Mazzini was the director of the World Revolutionary Movement and was appointed as the director of the whole World Revolutionary Movement in 1834. After the French Revolution had, was over and the American situation here was in turmoil, Mazzini came to America and he consulted with General Albert Pike, who was disgruntled because his Indian Auxiliary troops had been disbanded on the charge that they had committed atrocities under the cloak of legitimate war. Therefore, Pike became an alumnist, and he built a house in Little Rock with 13 rooms in 1840. And it was in that house where he worked to perfect the military blueprint of wars and revolutions that would bring Weishaupt's plan to its final stage. The blueprint called, first of all, for the putting into effect of Weishaupt's plan to create international atheistic commons and then use it as the Illuminati's destructive force to help them destroy all existing governments and religions. I know it hurts when the truth of history reveals that men who have been built up by false propaganda into national heroes are proved to be feet of clay. But what is true of some of your statesmen and politicians in the past is equally true of ours in Canada and those of Britain. Since the turn of the 19th century, since 1801, there has hardly been a Prime Minister in England or Canada or a President in this United States, with the exception of Lincoln, who wasn't under the control of the Illuminati. I explained briefly this afternoon how Weishaupt's plan was made known by an act of God. The German author Zwack, Z-W-A-C-K, had laboriously put these revised protocols together. 
and so that they would be safe and to guard against all being destroyed at one time. Copies of this document were placed in different parts of the world. I explained that Professor John Robinson, Professor of Human Psychology of Edinburgh University and Secretary of the Royal Society, when touring Germany and visiting the University of Frankfurt and Ingolstadt, had been asked to guard a copy of the secret document. He was not informed as to their nature, but he did place them in safekeeping. And after the plot had been revealed by the act of God, and the Bavarian government had published the horrible details of this international plot, Professor Robert Robinson unlocked this strong box in which he had kept them and found that the documents he had confirmed everything that the Bavarian government had published in 1786. I told you that while Western Ops Courier was riding on horseback from Frankfurt to Paris with a copy of this precious document, infamous document, for the information of those Illuminists and Jacobins who had been entrusted with developing the French Revolution, which was scheduled to break out in 1789, Almighty God struck him dead as he rode through the village of Radisbon. The courier was struck by lightning. And the Bavarian police found this document on the courier's body. Realizing its importance, the serious nature of it, they turned it over to the Bavarian government, who in turn had the police raid all West Coast Grand Orient lodges and the homes of those who were known to assist with him in the order and sect of the Illuminati. The evidence thus obtained confirmed the document as being genuine and it was published in 1786 under the title The Original Writings of the Order and Sect of the Illuminati. Copies of this document were sent to the heads of church and state throughout Europe. But such was the power of those experts, specialists and advisors who had been infiltrated behind the scenes of government that they persuaded the crowned heads of Europe and the heads of church to ignore the warnings by telling them that it was part of a huge hoax and if they took any notice of it, they would be brought into ridicule. When this plot was discovered, the Bavarian government closed the lodges of the Grand Orient, outlawed Professor Weishaupt, and disbanded the Illuminati. And with the devilish cunning with which they are inspired, Weishaupt pretended that the plot had come to an end and that he had become reconciled with God. But the word God can apply equally to Lucifer as it does 
to the supreme being that we worship. And that is why people are continually being deceived by the double talk of these people.
Clinton Roosevelt published a book called The Science of Government Founded in Natural Law. That book embodies Weissop's pattern of a one-world UN-type dictatorship. Clinton Roosevelt was a direct ancestor of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Roosevelt, Greeley, and Dad organized the local folk coat party in 1834 to cover the real purpose. They organized the first labor movement in the United States the following year and then covered their activities under the name of the Whig Party. And the money that they raised by these activities was used to finance none other than Karl Marx to write the Communist Manifesto and Das Kapital in Seoul, London, England. Karl Marx was the nephew of a Jewish rabbi, but he defected from Judaism. He was baptized into the Christian religion, and he was a hater of the Jews. He was no more an atheist than what I am. But he wrote that document so that he could get people who had lost their faith to join the Communist Party and allow themselves to be used to further the secret plans of the Illuminati. While Karl Marx and Engels were writing the Communist Manifesto, a German professor of the name of Karl Ritter of Frankfurt University was actually employed by the Illuminists writing the antithesis of the communist ideology so that the Communist Party and the anti-Communist Party could be used to divide the world's population into opposing camps and bring about World War I. Professor Karl Ryder was succeeded after his death by Nietzsche, who completed his work. As early as 1776, Russia had been designated as the empire which was to be destroyed and turned into the stronghold of atheistic guns. But the historians that teach in your universities and in your colleges don't say anything about that. What I'm telling you are historical facts. I'm not giving you my own opinion. They can be checked in your national archives in the British Museum of London, England, and in the Vatican Libraries, and have been checked. When Giuseppe Mazzini was brought in contact with Pike, the two worked on this military plan to divide the countries of the world into opposing camps. And World War I was to be used to enable them to overthrow the powers of the Tsar and turn Russia into the stronghold of atheists to come. In 1887, Pike and Lemmy, who had succeeded, Mazzini as the director of the World Revolutionary Movement, Lenin succeeded Lemmy, decided that political Zionism was to be organized by Herzl and then used for two purposes. First of all, to create the state of Israel and secondly, 
to enable the Illuminati to foment World War III using the differences between the Israeli and the Arab Mohammedans to serve that purpose. The plot also required that after World War I had turned Russia into the stronghold of atheistic communism, communism was to be built up in strength by the leaders of our so-called democratic countries until it equaled in strength in every respect the united Christian world and then it was to be contained and it was to be contained until the last everybody considers that communism is a movement by the laboring classes to destroy capitalism nothing could be more ridiculous the Mensheviks and the Bolsheviks were used to foment and fight the revolution in Russia in 1905 and 1916, but all the time hovering in the background were these Illuminists who had chosen Lenin and Trotsky to lead the movement to usurp the powers of government in Russia just as soon as the moment was right. Now in 1916, the international bankers of Britain, the United States, Germany, Sweden, and France met in Stockholm for the purpose of deciding the final details of the Russian Revolution, and they were joined by Henry Ford, Henry Ford, who originally wrote a series of books exposing the Illuminati conspiracy, was himself duped into going along with them. The Ford Foundation has since carried out many of the stated goals of the conspirators under the beneficent hand of Henry Ford II, whose father never dreamed that his own fortune would be used to advance the cause of his worst enemy who went over under the, gave the world the impression that he sailed in that famous peace ship. Well, of course, there's different kinds of peace. We know that the communists today are talking peace, but that they mean the peace that will be had when all other opposing forces have been destroyed. The average communist doesn't know that he also is to be destroyed in the final phase of the conspiracy. And it was by making these facts known to the leaders of the Communist Party in Canada that we split the Communist Party right down the middle in 1957. We supplied them with copies of a letter that Albert Pike had written to Mazzini on August the 15th 1871, the year before Mazzini died, and that exposed the whole diabolical aspect of the, that aspect of the conspiracy. Lenin and Trotsky were not atheists. Lenin had been initiated into the order and sect of the Illuminati in Switzerland, where Trotsky was initiated. I am not familiar, but. This will shock you. 
British intelligence knew exactly what was being planned, and so did your American intelligence officers, because they reported all the details of the secret meeting in Stockholm to the governments, just the same as I reported that secret meeting that happened on St. Simon's Island, February the 14th this last year. No notice was taken. The powers behind the scenes of government are too strong to even allow your government, which you so proudly say is of the people, for the people, by the people. And ours is just the same. But the fact remains that they deposited $50 million to the credit of Trotsky in the Bank of Sweden. And while that was being done, Lenin was being given safe conduct from Switzerland to Russia with 38 top-level revolutionary readers in a private car supplied by the high command of the German government. And that movement from Switzerland to Germany of Lenin and his party was organized by the brother of Paul Warburg who drafted your Federal Reserve legislation in 1910 and had it put into effect in 1913. His brother was chief of the German intelligence staff and negotiated the transfer of Lenin and these top ranking aluminous into Russia. Now, Trotsky was building up his group of revolutionary leaders on the east side of New York, and when he sailed from New York to Sweden, the British Navy intercepted the vessel and took Trotsky and his fellow revolutionary leaders off the vessel, landed them at Halifax and confined them in the emigration sheds and put them under the guard of the Northwest Mountain Police, as they were known that day. But that didn't suit those that are directing the world revolutionary move. Mackenzie King, William Lyon Mackenzie King, who had been educated and trained as a member of the Illuminati because his father had been a revolutionary leader in Canada, a brilliant, cold-blooded, professional politician became Minister of Labor in Canada in 1907. He was doing the work of the international conspirators as far back as that day. When World War I broke out, or was about to break out, Mackenzie King retired from the Canadian government and took the position as head of the Rockefeller Department of Public Relations. Now, when we had captured Trotsky, and his fellow conspirators, and they had been placed in detention in Halifax, Mackenzie King was sent by the Rockefellers to Ottawa, and he issued the ultimatum that unless those men were not only released but given safe conduct to Sweden, the United States would cut off all financial and other aid to Britain and France. President Woodrow Wilson, who said time and time again, 
I will not let our boys die on foreign soil, was a stooge of Colonel Edward Mandel House, an errand boy for the hierarchy of the Illuminati in America, the Rockefellers, Bernard Baruch, Jacob Schiff, etc. Wilson wired the British government demanding that Trotsky and his men be released or the United States would not enter World War I as agreed upon. So, to prevent defeat, we took the lesser of two evils, and Trotsky was put on board another ship, and we had the humility of escorting that man to the entrance of the Baltic Sea. These are the things that of international intrigue that's going on all the time, and you're not allowed to know a thing about it. As soon as the war was over, as you were, I'm not going to go into all the details of the Russian Revolution, but you know that Trotsky and Lenin did take over the powers of government in Russia. Now, the normal people talk about 98% of those men that went with Lenin and Trotsky into Russia to usurp the powers of government being used. That's a perfectly correct if we use the word Jew as it is generally used. But remember this. They entered Russia in the August and September of 1916. When Lenin died in 1924, there was not a single member of the first international of the Communist Party left alive or out of exile except one or two who were initiated as members of the Illuminati. All the others, after they served their purpose, were liquidated, as happens to everybody that serves the Illuminati, whether they know it or not. As soon as they have served their purpose, they're wiped out with as little compunction as you and I would swat a fly. Now, the Nazism, as has been founded by Professor Karl Ritter the same year, 1848, that Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, had to be used to cement World War II for the purpose of destroying the German Empire and reducing the strength of the British Empire so it was no longer a world power. And we all know that that is exactly what happened. But, according to the Pike Plan and this re overall revolutionary blueprint, it also had to be used so that the political Zionist party would be given a sovereign state in Palestine where the differences between political Zionism and the Arabs would, would and could be used to cement World War III. The Treaty of Marseille was deliberately written in such a manner that it facilitated those who were directing the world revolutionary movement of starting World War II when they thought the time was right. You'll find all kinds of documentation in there, secret messages passing between the heads of your government and ours. And let me tell you this, some friends of mine, high-ranking British officers, and some of your own countrymen, 
did everything within their powers to try and prevent World War II breaking out. They knew the details of this conspiracy as I'm explaining it to you. They went to Prime Minister Chamberlain and they told him that if he allowed World War II to break out into a hot and shooting war, that it would be continued until Britain had been destroyed as a world power. They even convinced Chamberlain of the truth of their statements. And that is why he went to Munich and came back with his umbrella and a piece of paper saying peace in our time. But then Chamberlain was maneuvered into a position where he the promise to the Polish for instance. But you know that the first months of that war the phony war. Chamberlain and the Premier of France any German targets other than strictly military targets. That didn't suit these bloodthirsty international gangsters. That was too slow. So they gave orders that Chamberlain had to be got rid of and Chamberlain didn't know what to do. He told Commander Ramsey, a very highly decorated officer in army intelligence and a man who was a member of parliament for Peeblesshire in Scotland, he said, if you will only get me definite evidence of what is going on behind the scenes, he said, I will put a stop to this war. Approached a man in the American embassy. And he told him, if you will only give me copies of the secret correspondence and signals that is passing between Churchill and Roosevelt, and let me have them just long enough to show the Prime Minister, he says, we'll end this war. And that clerk, that cipher clerk, did as requested in the hope that by so doing he could prevent World War II being developed into the Holocaust that it was. That man was Tyler Kent. That sealed not only Chamberlain's fate, but it sealed the fate of all those patriots who were working in close cooperation with Captain Ramsey. And the powers behind the government insisted that there be an election. Churchill was elected Prime Minister. On February 8, 1920, Sir Winston Churchill, before his forced acceptance in the Illuminati, wrote an article that was carried in the Illustrated Sunday Herald. From the days of Spartacus, Weissopt to those of Karl Marx, he wrote, to those of Trotsky, Russia, Bela Kuhn, Hungary, Rosa Luxemburg, Germany, and Emma Goldman, the United States, this worldwide conspiracy for the overthrow of civilization and for the reconstitution of society on the basis of arrested development of envious malevolence and impossible equality has been steadily growing. It played a definitely recognizable role in the tragedy of the French Revolution. It has been the mainspring of every subversive movement during the 19th century. 
And now at last, this band of extraordinary personalities from the underworld of the great cities of Europe and America have gripped the Russian people by the hair of their heads and have become practically the undisputed masters of that enormous empire. The 12 o'clock of the day of May the 12th, that he was elected prime minister, he gave the Royal Air Force orders that they were to bomb open towns and cities in Germany that night. At midnight, he broke the previous prime minister's promise with the French president that would not do that. At midnight on that same day, he had the secret police that nobody knew were even in existence in England. Raised the homes of a 400 and some odd patriots, including admirals of the British Navy, and they took them and their wives out of their beds in the middle of the night and locked them up in Brixton prison without a charge or opportunity for trial, and they kept them there for four and a half years. I'm not telling you a fairy tale. I'm quoting historical facts. The people of England have never been allowed to know that yet, and yet I have admirals of Barry Donville, with whom I am in constant correspondence, and I served with his brother in the First World War on the same ship, and I know every detail of everything that happened about that. Admiral Donald was one of the finest and most capable British admirals that our country produced. He was the greatest fighting admiral that we had in the First World War. He fought and won more engagements in and around the Bight of Heligoland than any other British admiral. He was four times decorated by the king with the highest honors that could be conferred on him, and after the war, he was put in charge of all naval establishments and then made director of naval intelligence. Admiral Donald told me that he was 58 years of age before he began to suspect that the secret power that seemed to be able to cause our governments to adopt policies that led to their own destruction was the Illuminati. After World War II had served its purpose, and Nazism had been used to serve the purpose of the Illuminati, those who had directed the war on the German side were ordered liquidated. But so that it would be made look legal and nice, we had the Nuremberg trials where they were legally murdered. Now anybody that served in a high-ranking position in your Navy, the Canadian Navy, or the British Navy, knows that we have to obey orders. And those orders are given by the politicians, the civilians. Admiral Bacon, one of our British admirals, had the courage to write to Mr. Churchill in the First World War and said, Sir, fighting the enemy is a pleasure. Fighting your you politicians is the damnedest headache a man could inflict on himself. That was what Admiral 
sensation. There was one of these gruff old fellows, and he didn't give a continental cuss for all the politicians this side of hated. And he wrote that to Mr. Churchill. Now, as a result of the Second World War, the United Nations reformed. Just one more step towards a one-world government. Your government gave recognition to Soviet Russia and was quickly followed by Britain. If you remember, the Bolsheviks became so powerful due to the aid we had given them that we had to fight a war of containment in 1919, 1920, and 1921. The conditions under which we fought the Bolsheviks was exactly the same as the conditions your troops and ours fought in Korea this last war. We were never allowed to give them a darn good licking. As soon as we had just pushed them back and got them into where they couldn't, where they were contained, then we had to stop. We weren't allowed to deliver the knockout. Good Lord, Bolshevism, or as we know it today, international communism could have been absolutely wiped out in Russia between 1919 and 1921. But that wasn't in accordance with Weishaupt's or Pike's plan. That plan said it had to be built up until it equaled in strength the whole of United Christendom. Now, is there any person in this audience can deny that during World War II, international communism was not built up until it equaled in strength the whole of United Christendom? What about Yalta, Tehran, Boston? Stalin took all they offered and asked for more. And because it suited the purpose of those directing international intrigue at the top, he got all he asked for. And those that were working with him, the three big men, thought Stalin was playing along with I think history will prove that Stalin went so far as to agree that FDR would be the first king despot. And when he double-crossed FDR after Yalta, that was the end of FDR. You want to ask some of your own intelligence officers if they'll open up. Thank God I never took the oath. I've been working at Intelligence Works since way back in 1912, and on every occasion that I was brought into the Intelligence Department, I begged off taking the oath, and because there was no difference of opinion between my senior officers, Admiral S.S. Jones and these other admirals I've mentioned, they never required me to take the oath, and that's the only thing that let my tongue loose so I could speak. If you belong to intelligence, to the FBI, or the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, you are not allowed to divulge. I never asked them for any information. Working with a small, tight-knit group, we gave them all the information that came into our hands. But I was so close to intelligence, that is, the directors of intelligence, that I had my own office 
in the intelligence department at Ottawa, and I had one stenographer delegated to do all my typing, and my wife and I are godfather and godmother to one officer who was director of naval intelligence for a period of five years, and another man who is our highest ranking intelligence officer, he and his wife are godfather to, and godmother to one might, so we'd be close in this tent. I've had the pleasure being the guest in the homes of nearly all these men I'm talking, and I've had the opportunity of discussing different angles. They are not in the habit of volunteering information, but if you ask them a direct question, all you have to do is to look into their eyes. As I told the head commissioner of the mounted policemen, we were having a conference one day, he says, you know I can't talk. No, but I says, you're a darn poor poker player, because after I ask you a question, all I have to do is look in your eyes and I can see the answer just glaring at me. <laughs> well, the progress towards the one world government had to be quickened, so the League of Nations was transferred to the United Nations. Now going back to where I began my story and told you that this world revolutionary movement started in the celestial world when Lucifer challenged the right to Almighty God to be the supreme authority on the grounds that his plan for the rule of the universe was weak and impractical because it was based on the premise that lesser beings could be taught to know him, love him, and serve him out of respect for his infinite perfections. I told you that the Luciferian plan was to ensure peace and law and order by the enforcement of a totalitarian dictatorship enforced by absolute despotism. That theory is what is being put into force here today. The people that we're so proud to say, government, the country are not going to have any say unless we educate them and make them understand that we are in the semi-final stage of this computer. Now you'd say it's too late, it isn't. We have the words of our Lord Jesus Christ who told us that if we would go out and teach all nations the truth and the whole truth Knowledge of the truth would set us free from the bonds with which we are being bound by the Luciferian conspirators. This isn't a racial or religious or a political matter. Because in the final analysis, the satanic forces will divide those that survive the final social upheaval into just two classes. The brilliant-minded ones that have plotted and planned all this will be the rulers, and all the rest will be those that they enslave. It's an extraordinary thing, but the more you study all angles of this conspiracy, you find out that the brilliant-minded international gangsters that think out all the details of the various aspects of this conspiracy are financed by being awarded Nobel Prizes. Alfred Nobel 
was the inventor of dynamite that has killed more people in wartime than any other weapon ever invented. The Nobel Peace Prize has been won by such men as Linus Pauling and Martin Luther King, and the Peace Prize is an instrument used by the conspirators to carry on their work. Our Reverend Mr. What's his name? Methodist minister, he was given $45,000 to work inside the religious thing. Not long ago, Bertrand Russell was awarded the Nobel Prize for his book, The Impact of Science on Society. I know Rod Chisholm personally. He was the Minister of Health for Canada before he was appointed as Canada's de Chief Delegate to the United Nations. He hadn't been very long in the United Nations when he was made president of the World Health Organization, which you know of by the three letters WHO, W-H-O. After he had put the internationalist brains, put their ideas into actual practice within the World Health Organization, he then was made director and president of the United Nations Mental Health Organization. Brock Chisholm says there's only one way to use the human capital. He says reduce the whole lot to one common denominator. Interbreed them, mix them up, Get one great big mass of mongrelized humanity and then put them under the yoke of absolute slavery and he says you won't have any more wars through evolution. Well, that sounds logic. If the ruling class that consider they know better than Almighty God how to rule the universe get away with what they're working at, all the rest will be classified as goyim. And the word G-O-Y-I-M does not mean gentile. It means human cattle. That is the definition of that word. This play of words is confusing everybody. The whole diabolical plan is dependent on the agents of the Illuminati causing bigotry, hatred, on religious, political, economic, any other major issue, so that they can get us divided and throw us at each other's throats. Now I've mentioned that when this conspiracy has developed to the final stage, that is after World War III, that the greatest social capitalism that the world has ever known is to be provoked by the Illuminati. Before I read you Pike's letter of instruction to Mazzini, telling him exactly how this final phase was to be put into operation, I just want to mention that World War III was scheduled to start Christmas week, 1957. I had called that shot years and years. You'll find it in the books that were published years ago, so I just couldn't think it up out of my head tonight. I said it 
that if we permitted World War III to be developed as intended, the year 1960 would be the year of no return. You'll find those statements in my book. I have no reason to withdraw them or even to qualify. I watched what was going on in certain areas of this world and where I couldn't observe the things personally, friends of mine helped me. Weishaupt and Pike had both said that those brilliant-minded international gangsters that were determined to enslave the lesser beings were to provide for their own safety and protection by establishing sanctuaries before each of the succeeding wars broke out. And that pattern has been maintained ever since the French Revolution, which broke out in 1789. In no revolution, be it the French revolutions, and there's been several of them, the Spanish revolutions, the German revolutions, the British revolutions, your American revolutions, the Austrian or any other revolution, has any of the members of the Illuminati or their families been harmed, nor has their properties. They were always safely hidden away in sanctuaries. That is why Switzerland was the biggest sanctuary of the lot. It was made a neutral country, so those directing both sides of the wars could meet and discuss how they would continue them or bring them to an end. With the advent of the atomic bomb, they just didn't know what to do, because before they could let the masses use atomic weapons and nerve gas to destroy themselves in still greater numbers, they had to know what part of the Earth's surface was safe for their own miserable hides. They couldn't afford to get contaminated with atomic fallout or to be burnt with nerve gas, which means death. So what did they do? After the two bombs were exploded on, on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, they started a series of explosions all over the world. Britain, Soviet Russia, Australia, the United States, whose governments are all controlled at the top by these devils in human form. They popped off a bomb here, they popped off a bomb there, and they had their new scientists all over the world measuring the atomic fallout so that they could find, if possible, places in which they could be perfectly safe while we were cutting each other's throats from ear to ear. It is not generally known, but Germany could have won World War II hands down. But they were not allowed. These Illuminati, who were behind the government, of Germany had strict instructions that the German Empire and the Nazi Party were to be destroyed. And I defy any member 
of the American High Command to deny this statement. The German Army has sufficient nerve gas stockpiled two years before the war ended to have wiped out the whole population of Britain, France, and the United States had they been allowed to use it. Now, nerve gas is the most lethal weapon, the satanic inspiration has enabled the mind of man to discover this. It is nothing more or less than the pure essence of fluorine gas. And it is so deadly and so devilish in its characteristics that if one single drop, even though it be highly diluted, comes in contact with the flesh of any living creature, it will travel along the nerve trunks and paralyze the breathing apparatus and thus cause death. There is only one antidote to that, and that is atrophy. But atrophy would have to be injected immediately the first strangling sensation was experienced, and you would have to keep injecting it until you could get out of the contaminated area and get further medical dust. The members of the armed forces of your country and mine are being equipped with atrophine outfits. But what about the civilian population? Now one of the devilish features of nerve gas is this. You could wipe out the population of Chicago or New York or any big Canadian city and not do one single dollar's worth of property damage. Now all this nonsense about the fear of atomic bombs is just getting the masses into a state of fear that they'll go off half-cock and agree that it's essential to contain Russia or something else to have another world war. These men that have the wealth and the power in their hands and secretly administer that power behind the scenes of government are not going to destroy billions and billions of dollars worth of property when they can take over by using a few dollars worth of fluorine gas. They call it nerve gas because they figured it would interfere with their idea to promote fluoridation if the public got to know that nerve gas is nothing but the pure essence of fluorine gas and gaseous form. After studying the weather conditions that had prevailed over 50 years and studying the atomic fallout and the deposit Nerve gas deteriorates very quick. 48 hours, it loses its uh, deadly characteristics, and an invading army could move into a place that had been trained in 48 hours. But there is a residue which collects in the clouds and is brought to Earth the same as what atomic fallout is by precipitation rain. Now, in 1955, the year that I was starting to publish these two books,
the scientists had reached the conclusion that one part of the world that was safe was that area bounded by southern Florida, the islands of the Caribbean Sea, and the British West Indies. As soon as that was secretly known, all the big multi-multi-millionaires started the most intense building operations this country has ever known. The chairman of the Aluminum Company of America, Mr. Davis, bought 10,000 acres on the Isle of Pines and proceeded to turn it into one of the most luxurious highways where he and his top-level members of the Illuminati could live in peace and luxury while we were wiping each other off the face of the earth. Britain was so concerned about the increase of population in the West Indies that they financed the movement of around 250,000 West Indians out of the island and moved them into England and Canada, paid their furs, told them it was to improve their conditions. Now, A.P. Taylor, who owns and controls the brewery interests of Canada, Hoffman, Bronfman, who controls all the stillers in Canada, and who are no more Jews or Zionists than what I am, but they control the movement at the top, and a group of their international gangsters that control the Canadian government's policy just as another group controls yours, they formed a syndicate, the first ante was $15 million, and they started to build palatial resorts throughout the West Indies and other islands of the Caribbean Sea. A bunch of your Chicago financiers and others extended Miami right down until it reaches now to Key West. All that happened after that's been called the safer. It's a good job my nurse, when I was a kid, dropped me on my head because she developed such a bump of curiosity that I've never recovered it from it yet. And knowing what was in the wind, I had to go down there and see for myself what was going on. That is what took me down to Florida in the February of 1957. And what did we find? They were organizing water transports between the islands. They were taking cargo ship loads of preserved and tinned foods and stockpiling them throughout the area. They were building great big water condensers so that in case of drought or lack of precipitation they could have the sea water turned into drinking water. Vining Davis was at the back of that reclamation program in which thousands and thousands of acres of marshland in Florida was drained and cultivated and tilled so it became fertile ground for growing what you call market vegetables, small fruits and vegetables. 200,000 head of cattle were transferred from Texas into the ranches of Florida so they would be sure of a meat supply. With that amount of cattle breeding and the fish that were available in the ocean,
and the coastal waters, they were quite satisfied that with their ability to grow their own fruit and vegetables, raise their own meat, catch their own fish, that added to the tremendous amounts of, of staples such as flour and other things that have been shipped into that area by ocean-going cargo vessels, would make them absolutely self-contained. Now, because these men always like to make a project pay for itself, they rented all this luxurious accommodation that was built in 55, 56 to tourists. And they were quite willing to take them for all they had got, make them pay through the nose for this luxurious living, and they were quite welcome to pay the shot until they wanted to move down in there. And they had it all planned how they get rid of them so that they could occupy the vacated accommodation. They called the general strike of hotel employees. And all the people in those luxurious resorts couldn't get any kind of service so the people that owned them were very apologetic and they flew them all out. And as soon as they got rid of them, every plane leaving these northern airports were chartered to fly the big boys down in to take over the accommodation that had been vacated. By heavens, we had some of my friends keeping erect to the St. Simon Island meeting. And amongst the people that had their own planes chartered to take them down south just before Christmas was the head of your international unions that had done all the negotiations to amalgamate the unions at the top. Not only the American, but the Canadian. They both had private planes for the whole bunch of the top fellows who had been serving the international. And the labor let them get away with it. Goodness gracious me, I don't know how stupid people can get. It's so obvious. And then, when the whole thing was ready, and somebody was going to press the button, the Lord entered into the picture and took a stand. And you never saw the like of it in all your born days. I've traveled all over the world and I never saw anything like it. All of a sudden, just towards the end of November, the earliest and most severe frost that had struck Florida in 50 years hit, and the papyrus trees just wilted. They rushed out, covered them with blankets, covered them with honey. They didn't do any good. They were flat on the ground. The next day, every blessed one was wiped out. The fruit and vegetables that were just getting to maturity for the Christmas market were wiped out completely. There wasn't an onion or a radish or a lettuce left. And the rain started to fall, and the wind started to blow from every direction other than was expected. 
And there was such complete chaos as far as weather conditions were concerned that they fired the poor little message at Stamford because he couldn't call the shots 12 hours in advance. So they fired him. And they brought the top fellow down from Washington. And when he got down there, all he did was hold his head and he couldn't predict what the weather was going to be for 24 hours. So they had to call the war off too bad. Oh, we were just there. They called the war off. They only postponed it for a while. They thought that these weather conditions couldn't prevail much longer. And you know there was such a precipitation of rain that the fallout in Florida and both nuclear fallout and fluorine was such that 76,000 head of cattle died. 76,000 head of cattle died. The next thing that happened, Christmas week came. You never saw such beautiful weather in your life. Everybody was down on the beach swimming and bathing. For seven days we had perfect weather. Then the angels put pulled out the plug again and the water came down and the wind started to blow and the temperature was all around. I was fortunate. I was so convinced that something like this was happening. I had a great big hand-knitted woolen coat and you know I've been stopped a dozen times on the street by people who said I'll give you 40 bucks for that coat. Everybody thought I was nuts when I went down there with a great big hand-knitted coat. But boys, I was comfortable when other people were freezing to death. And then the second frost wiped out the next crop just as it was ready for market. And the cattle started to starve to death. There wasn't enough grass left on the pasture land. And before they could organize an emergency feeding program, they had to pull the grapefruit crop and take those great big wagons that carry about 10 tons and dump them in the pastures and the cattle were so hungry they just munched grapefruit to keep alive. And that is a truth and there's thousands of people can support that statement. Then the most mysterious thing of the whole episode happened. The fish that were so abundant in the coastal waters, in the islands, and around the coast, they disappeared to the Lord knows where, and he won't tell. You couldn't catch enough fish in a couple of hours to supply five or six families, and when the fishing boats would go out and bring great big cargoes of lovely fish in, they couldn't find the fish. They even put electronic devices in their boats and went out 300 miles to see to try and locate the fish shows. No good. 40% of those that owned commercial fishing boats and charter boats went bankrupt and the financiers took over their boats. 40%. Then, just to make sure that there wouldn't be any nonsense, in the beginning of 1958, as the third crop was ready for the market, the Lord sent another frost and wiped that. It was the latest frost that's ever been recorded. So we poor suckers that were down there getting the information found ourselves paying 35 cents a head for lettuce and 29 for piece for cucumbers and 
so on, all the way down the line. They even had to fly the food that we people needed there from California and Mexico, and that's what happened down in Florida. But the scientists said that the fluorine that fell down was brought down out of the clouds by the rain and that it had accumulated from the smoke from chemical factories. That the smoke had gone up and lodged in the clouds and these unprecedented downpours of rain had released it and dropped it on the grass and the pasture. Well, I don't believe that because I know that they were frantically taking tests of Spanish moss and every other thing. I had doctors that I could rely on and they were watching all these tests and they just did not know what was to happen. The United Nations was taking up the matter of stopping a further atomic test because of this atomic fallout. That is what's going on in this world. Now, we started to show that the conditions which we experience today started in the supernatural world are conducted by men who are inspired by the satanic forces. Their purpose is to prevent us putting God's plan into operation so his will can be done here in heaven and what have you today in the United Nations. God has been kicked out of politics and the name of God is rarely used except as blasphemy or oath on the lips of foul-mouthed people. But the scriptures tell us that God is a jealous God. And I'm quite satisfied that he has taken measure of the satanic forces at work in this world and the feverish haste with which they are trying to bring their devilish plan into its final stage shows that they think time is running out. Now, it's all very well saying, well, don't worry, God will look after us. God has a habit of helping those who help themselves. He told us that if we were hearers of the word and not doers of the word, it would avail us nothing. If the truth has been made known to us, it is our duty to pass that truth on to as many other human beings as possible. Because whether or not we can halt this devilish conspiracy before God has to intervene to save all flesh being destroyed or not, by making the truth known to our neighbors, we can at least open their eyes and make them realize what is going on so that they too can become the elect of Almighty God. That is the duty. We will not be judged according to the results that we achieve. We will be judged according to the amount of effort we put into serving His holy will during the term of our life on this earth. There, ladies and gentlemen, you 
have a picture. Now, I just want to read this in conclusion. Albert Pike, on August the 15th, 1871, wrote a letter of instruction to Mazzini telling him what I have told you, and his concluding paragraph reads as follows. We, the Illuminati, shall unleash the nihilist and atheist, and we shall provoke a formidable social catalysm, which in all its horror will show clearly to the nations the effect of absolute atheism, origin of savagery, and the most bloody term. Then everywhere, the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the world minority or revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilization and the multitude disillusioned with Christianity, which will be from that moment without compass, that's direction, anxious for an ideal, but without knowing where to render its adoration, will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer, brought finally out in the public view, a manifestation which will result from the general reactionary movement which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. The word God is used by these Luciferians just the same as we use the word God. On July the 14th, 1889, Pike had to correct the beliefs of some of his leaders in the new Palladian life who were Satan worshippers. So he wrote this letter of instruction. That which we must say to the masses, or the crowd, is we worship God. But it is the God that one adores without superstition. The Masonic religion should be, by all of us initiates of the high degrees, maintained in the purity of the Luciferian doctrine. Now I want to repeat, Masons up to the 32nd and 33rd degree do not know about the details of this plot until recently, and therefore they cannot be blamed. In the original writings of the Order and Sect of the Illuminati, there are nine paragraphs that deal with how Freemasonry and other secret societies are to be wiped out after the Illuminati have been established their leader king despot of the world. So they don't uh, play any favorites. Everybody except their own little clique are to be either wiped out or subjugated. Lenin said it didn't matter if 75% of the world's population was liquidated as long as they controlled the other 25%. Referring to this God, what we say to the crowd is we worship God. But it is the God that one adores without superstition. I'll skip the next part. Uh, the Masonic religion should be, by all of us initiates of the high degrees, maintained in the purity of the Luciferian doctrine. If Lucifer were not God, would Adame, whose deeds prove his cruelty, avidity, and hatred of men, 
barbarism and repulsion for science yes Lucifer is God and unfortunately Adami is God also for the eternal law is that there is no light without shade no beauty without ugliness no white without black for the absolute can only exist as two gods thus the doctrine of Satanism is a heresy and the true and pure religion is belief in Lucifer the equal of Adani but Lucifer, God of light, God of good, is struggling for humanity against Adani, the God of darkness and evil. Now, the word Adani is used to identify God by the Luciferian creed when it is being exemplified in the higher degrees of the Grand Orient Lodges and uh, those of the New and Reformed Palladian Rites. There is the picture. I maintain but if the public can be educated to know the truth, public opinion can become such a force that it will become a greater power on this earth than any atomic weapon developed today. The only thing that those who, from their dark places and their secret hidings, fear is the truth. They fear the truth and only the truth. Some of their greatest leaders have said that if one man penetrates the secret and makes it known, their plans could be set back 3,000 years or destroyed completely. All we have to do is carry out the mandate given to us by Almighty God. If we don't, we'll all, Americans, Canadians, British, and all those that call ourselves free, will find ourselves in the same pot being stirred up in a beautiful, delicious devil's brew. And those fiends will reduce us to one common mass of mongrelized humanity by the application on an international scale of artificial insemination. Bertram Russell on page 49, 1551 of his Nobel Prize winning book The Impact of Science on Society says that less than 30% of the females will be selected for breeding purposes and less than 5% of the males. And the breeding will be the same as on a stock farm. It will be strictly limited and selected to fill the requirements of the state. That's what we're facing. That's what is at the back of this integration and all the rest of it. They completely cover and disguise their foul intentions by putting a whole lot of little targets up so that we point our rifles and sight on those little targets and blaze away. And they don't care how many thousand rounds of ammunition we shoot at the targets they stick up as long as they are safe behind the butts and we're not hurting them. Now let's get wakened up. For heaven's sake, we sacrificed nearly 30 million human lives in World War One and Two in the honest belief that we were fighting for our king and our country, or God and our country. And if we were willing to risk our lives on the battlefield, or on the seas, or in the air, 
Surely, to goodness, the courage of the early martyrs hasn't disappeared completely. What are we afraid of? What's causing us? And those that are supposed to be leading us, particularly those in religion, why are we not told the whole truth so that we can use the intelligence that God gave us and decide, as he intends us to do, whether we accept his plan and obey his law or literally go to the devil. of what you have told us. Where have you ever heard so much in such a short time? Can I ask you? Isn't it wonderful? Made in the USA. What does it really cost? Well, if the U.S. federal government applied its own truth in labeling laws to the price of goods and services produced in this country, we'd quickly see... 30% of the retail price goes to federal taxes. Another 10% is what it cost American businesses to comply with federal regulations. For some businesses, it's even more. Add it up. About 40% of every dollar you spend is directly attributed to federal corporation taxes and or federal income taxes. And this doesn't include the approximate 8% for state taxes and up to an additional 10% for excise taxes. Take a $30,000 car. Subtract the federal taxes and regulatory costs and that same car would cost you $18,000. A $75 sweater. Eliminate the federal taxes and regulatory costs and the sweater would cost $45. A $60 bag of groceries, $36. A $79 pair of shoes, $47.40. A dollar value meal double cheeseburger, $0.60. Cents. Seem more affordable? Now take a $400,000 new home. Eliminate the federal government's share, and that same home would cost you $240,000. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money in your pocket. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to take a vacation. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to pay off loans. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to save for retirement. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to buy that wake home. And that's on the things you buy. Now let's look at what they take from your paycheck. Eliminate the federal income taxes, Social Security, and Medicare deductions, and a $52,000 wage earner's net pay would jump from $1,500 to $1,986.50. Add it up. 
Nearly 25% of what you earn goes directly to the federal government. And 40% of what you spend goes directly to the federal government. That's 65% in hidden costs. What do you get in return? Let's take Social Security. Depending on your income, you may pay into the system three to $500 per month. At retirement, the maximum payout is $2,053 per month. And even that is taxed if you have additional income. But what would happen if a married couple saved $300 a month each over 35 years at 7% compounded interest? You would have over $1 million. The nearly $75,000 annual interest of income alone far exceeds the Social Security maximum annual payout. And you still have your million-dollar nest egg to provide for yourself and pass down to your children, your grandchildren, or even pay for your children's education. Ready to take your money back? Reduce the tax burden on America, and all of a sudden, there's more money circulating in the economy. Take your money back, and all of a sudden, our products and services are more competitively priced at home and abroad. Take your money back, and all of a sudden, it's profitable again to manufacture products in the United States. Take your money back, and all of a sudden, American companies are hiring highly skilled, highly paid workers to meet their manufacturing demand. Take your money back, and all of a sudden, America would be the stable economic leader of the free world again. Seem far-fetched? It's not. Could the government operate without federal income taxes? Yes. Prior to 1913, there was no federal income tax. Don't we need the federal agencies that federal taxes support? No. Agencies supported by federal taxes, such as the FDA, ATF, and the IRS, are regulatory agencies. Not only are these federal agencies unconstitutional, they are illegal. The free market would regulate itself better, with greater efficiency. Americans would be richer and freer. And the cost of these agencies have grown out of control. The Bureau of Economic Analysis Statistics for 2005 reported the average salary for the 1.8 million federal civilian workers is $106,579. The average salary in the U.S. private sector is $53,289, less than half. Wouldn't charitable organizations suffer? No. Currently, 75% of American families give to charity. With more money in their pockets, Americans would be even more generous with their donations. So, what would we give up? 
nothing. Since federal income taxes support only 42% of the total federal budget, the government would still operate effectively with the remaining 58% of the budget. And federal workers would be absorbed into the burgeoning economy by the private sector. To put it in perspective, reducing the $2.8 trillion 2007 federal budget by 42% would still leave $1.6 trillion, the same amount as the total federal budget for 1997. There would be no need for a national sales tax that only replaces one tax for another, and it will not reduce government spending. But these numbers pale by comparison if you consider the national debt. As of January 2008, our country's public debt is over $9 trillion. The estimated population of the United States is 304 million. That means each citizen's share of the debt is $30,241, and that's over and beyond what you pay in taxes. Regardless of which political party is in control, there's no incentive for politicians to reduce spending. The only way to end this spending spree is to take away the government's checkbook and credit card and let them know the joyride is over. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The famous speech of Patrick Henry to the Virginia House of Burgesses, given on March 23, 1775, and entitled, Give me liberty, or give me death. No man thinks more highly than I do of the patriotism, as well as abilities, of the very worthy gentlemen who have just addressed the House. But different men often see the same subject in different lights, and therefore I hope it will not be thought disrespectful to those gentlemen if, entertaining as I do, opinions of a character very opposite to theirs, I shall speak forth my sentiments freely and without reserve. This is no time for ceremony. The question before the House is one of awful moment to this country. For my own part, 
I consider it as nothing less than a question of freedom or slavery. And in proportion to the magnitude of the subject ought to be the freedom of the debate. It is only in this way that we can hope to arrive at truth and fulfill the great responsibility which we hold to God and our country. Should I keep back my opinions at such a time through fear of giving offense, I should consider myself as guilty of treason toward my country and of an act of disloyalty towards the majesty of heaven, which I revere above all earthly kings. Mr. President, it is natural to man to indulge in the illusions of hope. We are apt to shut our eyes against a painful truth and listen to the song of that siren till she transforms us into beasts. Is this the part of wise men engaged in a great and arduous struggle for liberty? Are we disposed to be of the number of those who, having eyes, see not, and having ears, hear not, the things which so nearly concern their temporal salvation? For my part, whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, I am willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst, and to provide for it. I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of experience. I know of no way of judging of the future but by the past. And judging by the past, I wish to know what there has been in the conduct of the British ministry for the last ten years to justify those hopes with which gentlemen have been pleased to solace themselves and the house? Is it that insidious smile with which our petition has been lately received? Trust it not, sir. It will prove a snare to your feet. Suffer not yourselves to be betrayed with a kiss. Ask yourselves how this gracious reception of our petition comports with those warlike preparations which cover our waters and darken our land. Are fleets and armies necessary to a work of love and reconciliation? Have we shown ourselves so unwilling to be reconciled that force must be called in to win back our love? Let us not deceive ourselves, sir. These are the implements of war and subjugation, the last arguments to which kings resort. I ask gentlemen, sir, what means this martial array, if its purpose be not to force us to submission? Can gentlemen assign any other possible motive for it? Has Great Britain any enemy in this quarter of the world to call for all this accumulation of navies and armies? No, sir, she has none. They are meant for us. They can be meant for no other. They are sent over to bind and rivet upon us those chains which the British ministry have been so long forging. And what have we to oppose to them? Shall we try argument? Sir, we have been trying that for the last ten years. Have we anything new to offer upon this subject? Nothing. We have held the subject up in every light of which it is capable, but it has all been in vain. Shall we resort to entreaty and humble supplication? What terms shall we find which have not already been exhausted? Let us not, I beseech you, sir, deceive ourselves. 
Sir, we have done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming on. We have petitioned. We have remonstrated. We have supplicated. We have prostrated ourselves before the throne and have implored its interposition to arrest the tyrannical hands of the ministry and parliament. Our petitions have been slighted. Our remonstrances have produced additional violence and insult. Our supplications have been disregarded. And we have been spurned with contempt from the foot of the throne. In vain after these things may we indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation. There is no longer any room for hope. If we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve inviolate those inestimable privileges for which we have served. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.